This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hello, welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kara. And I'm the other host, Lisa. And we talk SVU crimes. We have celeb guests. And up top, we chit-chat just a little bit. Catch up. What's up? Girl, what's been going on? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I went to play kickball impromptu yesterday. Okay, I saw Caleb post something about that. And I was like, Lisa was playing kickball. Like, I don't talk to you for two days and there's so many developments. I just cannot. I honestly, I had no shows yesterday. I had no plans. I was truly losing it. And then we, I... (laughs) Julia calls me and she's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm reading a book outside at a bar. And she's like, are you okay? And I was like, this is worrisome. <laughs> but that this should be worrisome. sounds like really nice. <laughs> no, it's just like an escape room vibe where it's like, what are you not doing all right? Yeah. And it was also like a Kafka book. Like it just, I read like four pages, not even. I kept just calling people. Um, but I ran into Will, but I was like, what am I going to do tonight? And then I got the kickball text and I was like, I guess... I got to go the play kick- kickball. So what was the kickball? Vo- what was the deal? Well, I ju- I want to give a shout out to all the little kids I saw on their organized sports leagues. They're working so hard. <laughs> this kid's soccer practice uh, was so intense. They were there before we got there and there after we left. Like, these kids were doing like two, three hour practice. Running drills. Oh my god! Squat drills. They had like thigh bands on doing duck walks. <laughs> oh my God. These kids are ready for great adventures in their athleticism. Um, It was a casual game, but I think we all realized we're so out of shape. I mean, I'm sore um, (laughs) and my knee is bleeding. So that's what happened. Wait, did you fall running for a base? What's the blood? That's what I saw on Instagram was some blood. 
I tried to get a ground ball. Like I tried, like I was playing outfield shortstop vibes. I mean, there wasn't that many of us. I really love how hard you were hustling. I was hustling. I mean, like, truly. I'm more of like the ball will get to me when it gets to me kind of girl, but you know. No, I pitched for a while. I kept trying to find the position that would be the least amount of work and none of it. <laughs> After I was bleeding, I was like, okay, maybe I'll do first base too much. Then I was like, I just kept moving and then I had to just pitch. Like that was shockingly the chillest of the aggressive things. But you know, I kicked. It was fun. <laughs> I do love kickball. I used to play like fun side softball in um in Brooklyn when I lived in New York. And that was fun. And actually my team just announced they're having like a reunion. And I'm like, sorry, I live in LA now, but we played in McCarran Park. And you could always hear like, you know how there's a public pool next to McCarran Park? You could always hear everyone out of the water. And it was always because some kids shit in the water. Oh, for us in Skokie, it was safety break, safety break with the lifeguards. Please clear the pool. Um, <laughs> and something about if you were under the age of 15, you must exit the water. It was like adult swim every yes. hour for 15 minutes. I'm kind of ashamed. I can't remember all of it. It was so many years of my life. But <laughs> yeah, whatever. we like were part of a public pool that was down the street from us. And I hated adult swim. I was like, why did the adults just get to take over the pool? But, but now you, you know, get it. Now I get it. Just go get a go to the snack bar and give me three minutes of peace. Um, Were you allowed? I was not allowed to go to the snack bar. My dad also snuck us in. He would also make me go before the pool opened. It was really. We were barely allowed snack bar stuff. Barely. Yeah, a a true treat. Like these kids that have like a tab at the snack bar. I'd be like, what is that life? I mean, it sounds so luxurious, but. So our friends are selling Girl Scout cookies with their daughter. And I saw, I, I played backgammon this week with uh, a lot of games. I guess I've been doing a lot of games. But there's a house tab of cookies because all the boxes are in their garage. So we obviously <laughs> got stoned and then we were like, okay, I guess we could grab one box. <laughs> but I guess he's been doing that a lot. And the house tab, I think, is going to be huge by the end of this Girl Scout <laughs> endeavor. Yeah, I bought a few boxes from her. I know, I want a delivery. They're like, do you want to grab them now? I'm like, no, I want a delivery from this child. I'm like, this is part of the cuteness of it all. The willpower must be, I don't know how they're going to not take a box every day. I know, I I can barely keep them in my house, but... They're, they're so good. I love them. What's they, your oh, number one? My number one is Samoa's and love. Michael did not love those. So we did Tagalogs. Tagalogs, which are my second favorite. So it's fine. I used to be like a straight up th- um, Thin Mint girl, but because you know I can kill a sleeve in like moments, but um, Samoa's are really for me. Samoa's are the best. The Thin Mints, I love mint too. I'd rather have an Andy's Mint. I'd rather have a pepper, York Peppermint Patty. I don't like the Thin Mint. Oh, Maybe really? crumbled on ice cream. Like, I guess people freeze it. It's just like, I keep it doesn't in the do it for me. Yeah. It doesn't get do it. it for me. Yeah. No, I don't get the people that are like, I asked one person, I was going to buy them some cookies and they want shortbreads only. They only have the shortbread. And it's like, are you 85? The shortbread. Exactly. I don't even know if those are good. I do like a Lorna Dune shortbread, but I wouldn't buy a box. I wouldn't buy like a box of them. No, but I, I used think. to love one pot bellies, you know, those flour cookies, the Lorna Dune or whatever, the flour mm-hmm. ones. They yeah. used to put little ones on the straws of the milkshakes. Oh, but cute. I don't think they do that anymore. Because pot bellies used to be cute. It was like big peanut butter and jelly jars and may- like there used to be more of an aesthetic. Now They've it's gone like, corporate. 
Yeah. Wait, now they're like a huge brand. Well, they were always huge. Well, I just, I used to only go to one in DC. And I remember like the sandwiches being like amazing. And like the aesthetic was different. And like now they're in every city and, and it seems like they're letting it. You got to cut corners because you got to keep growing and making money when you're corporate. It's just not that cute. I don't know. I used to, I like seeing big jars of things. Maybe it's like the Costco of it all. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, so Lisa, I wanted to tell you about this. So I was, you know, I'm listening to this new um, podcast about the business and it's really helping me learn a lot. Like, I feel like it's like a trade podcast. And there's this there's this movie that I, you and I on our way home, I told you I watched this movie to Leslie that's like a very small movie. It made like $30,000. It's got this actress named Andrea Riseborough who's from the UK but plays American in this movie. And it is real. Her performance is really excellent. And she was also in an amazing Black Mirror. I don't, I don't know if you watched all the Black Mirrors, but she's like in an amazing Black Mirror. And um, she is friends or her, sorry, the director of the movie, Michael Morris, right, Casey? That's his name you told me the other day. I think it's Michael Morris. He is married to Mary McCormick, who went to my college and is best friends with like Chelsea Handler. She was in private parts with uh, Howard Stern. She's just very connected. I honestly want to say she's been on an SVU, but maybe not. I'm thinking of Maria Bello. But Mary McCormick is like very connected. And so they started like a whisper campaign to get her a nomination for Best Actress for the Oscars. And she got it. Like they basically just went to all their friends. They had private screenings. She asked Howard to talk about it on Stern, like blah, blah, blah. And then they kind of circumvented like the whole, because like studios spend a ton of money to get people nominations and they didn't have that. So they kind of just did it themselves, which I thought was really cool. But now it turns out it's like a scandal and they may have violated rules. What are by the rules? Having- there, there have to be rules because otherwise, like, movie studios would just pay people to go up to Academy members' houses and, like, knock on their doors and be like, would you please vote for Julia Roberts? You know, like, they have to make rules so that people don't go totally insane. So I don't know if, like, I think having private screenings and there's some parts of it that yeah, are... Yeah, but that's bullshit because to me, it's like, if these studios are spending millions to get someone nominated, that's within the rules, but someone having, like, exactly. a screening that's chill is not in the rules, it's like, okay, shady. I think they're just pissed that they got got. Like, I think they're pissed that somebody got a nomination in on this tiny movie by just knowing people and being well, like, I think they're well-liked in the business and they just went to their friends and they were like, this is a great performance. Like, go check it out, you know? And well, they did, like, yeah. talkbacks with the actors and whatever. Like, what is the Academy trying to say? Because it should just be who has the best part. Like, right. who did great acting? And so by even having issues with Two Leslie, they're, like, kind of telling on themselves a little bit. Where it's like, it doesn't matter if it's a good performance or a small movie. Like, unless you're spending millions, it's against. It's just... Yeah. I miss being a kid and just loving the glamour and the acting and the awards. And now... Before you realize that it was like a full marketing... It's a marketing machine, like the whole award ceremony. Yeah. Um, But... They were also saying something about how they may they may have been bad mouthing other nominees or potential nominees, but I don't know about any of that. I just think it's cool that such an underdog story. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't want to watch it. You watched it. You were like in to watch like a, a single mother struggling. I just there was nothing else. There was nothing else really on, and I was like, I'll watch this. And I really did. Like it is really sad and kind of depressing. Mark Marin is in it. He's pretty good in it. Like, it's, um, she just does a great job. Like, her performance, like, really brought me in. Like, I really have been thinking about it a lot, the movie. Um, 
But wow, I've it, been thinking a lot about Fleischman is in trouble. Oh yeah. I never watched Star. that yet. I might try. It's good. I was I kept asking I only met one other person who saw it that I could chat with them about, but it's really interesting the way they did it and perspective and I don't know. I liked it. But there's something that hits very close to home in one of the later episodes. So that's been on my mind. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, me and Jared started Poker Face last night. The new Natasha How is Leon. it? I don't know why I'm denying it. Is it awesome? I mean, Jared and I just like love her. Jared's like, I would watch her like truly read a like a takeout menu. Like I just like, she's her up to her same tricks where she's like this, like, but it's cool. It's a cool character. It's a very Natasha Leone character. And the first episode is awesome. So. Okay. Okay. You I'm know, into that. I wanted it to be her as Columbo. I wanted it to be her every episode, like solving new crimes or whatever. But I think it's more of an arc. Like she solves a big one in the first episode and then now she's like on the run. And I think that's like what the whole thing is going to be, is like her running, but maybe also, but I think on the run, she picks up like other life's lives and like, you know, people that come into her orbit and stuff. But it's I weird. I know I watched three episodes of something yesterday and I can't even remember. <laughs> well, you texted me about a Watch What Happens Live. Was it a Bravo-related thing or no? Well, I'm definitely up to date on Bravo and all the Watch What Happens. I actually, I'm glad you brought this up because I don't know if I texted the group. I think I texted the, gr the group. Um, so there's more wrestlers. So I guess Peacock's really getting into the wrestle game. So again, so there's these twins, the Bella twins, Nikki and Bella, and they had a show called Total Divas. Um, and one dated John Cena, one's married to this other wrestler, but they're just like hot twin wrestlers that are incredible. And they one, had babies like at the same time as each other. Like they I did a big, know. they did like a big people spread where they were like both pregnant because they like got pregnant at the same time. Like, I don't know if it was on purpose, but they kind of did. Yeah, I believe it. They're very close. Yeah. They've had lots of reality shows. I'm sure they'll have more. Um, she's in like, she's promoting her wedding special right now. But it was okay. her and a Bravo person. And then the other twin was bartending. <gasps> And they do not get along. Like, I don't know what happened in their relationship, but it was uncomfortable. And at one point, the one that was sitting was just like, um, aren't you bartending? Like, to shut her up. Um, they also played a game where they would zoom in on specific body parts and they would, and she would have to guess, like, which twin's body it was. And in everything, she was like, well, yeah, her, that would never be me. Those fucking shoes are disgusting. Like, they were, it was... Vicious. It, it was like cat. It was like something is up or that's their dynamic. I mean, they're sisters. Maybe it was just a quick fight. I don't know. But it was. Yeah. Like one time my friend, one time my sister was over at my place and so was our friend Allison. Um, and my sister and I went to the front door and we were kind of having like not a real fight, but like a mini fight. And, my, and Allison was like kind of fucked up. And she goes, what are you guys doing over there? Sister shit? So like now whenever like anything's going on with my sister, Allison's always like sister shit. Like we always say sister shit. And I feel like that's, that's such a thing. Sister shit. Like it's really... You and your sister seem like you never fight. Okay, I know what I started. You're going to be happy. What? I started watching Only Murders in the Building. Yes, that's right. You texted me that you were. I forgot. You texted. What do you think? It's cute and fun. I'm loving it. And it's, it's like, like campy, but there is a mystery, but I'm not scared. 
it's like cozy. I know it's so cozy. weird. It's like you want to know the mystery and somebody did lose their life, but it's like a cozy show. Like, well, and he seems like a dick. Yeah. I watched the whole second season with COVID and was like, this is making me feel better. So yeah, I and love they, it. They are such great actors and both the characters are so unlikable. Like the uh, Martin Short and... Steve Martin. How do they? Martin, Martin. That's wild. But I whatever. <laughs> and I just wonder how Selena Gomez got into it. I want to know how, how they sold it. I want to know everything about this project. My friend from the Page program actually is, has been a, has directed a few episodes of it. So oh maybe I can God. get some tea from her. Yeah, I'm just wondering, like, did someone write and be like, I need to get the star-studded cast together first to sell it? Or did they cast it and they just loved the show? I'm just, like, curious. Are we now a, a show business podcast? Now we're a showbiz pod. Um, okay. <laughs> Let's we start. We should get started. But, but really quickly before we start, I just want to remind everybody that this coming next week, we are on the road a little bit in the Pacific Northwest. We're going to be in Vancouver at JFL on February 20th. Um, and we're going to be at Helium Portland on February 21st and then Tacoma Comedy Club in Tacoma, Washington on February 22nd. So go to thatsmustuplive.com. Please come check us out live. Our live shows are super fun. And if you saw us in Seattle last time or you saw us in Portland last time we were there like almost a year ago, we it's all new shit, baby. It's all new episode and new stuff. So come on out and uh, see us. And I think let's get started. And I'm doing stand-up in Seattle on the 23rd. Oh, yes. And so. stay, come see us on the 22nd and then go see Lisa on the 23rd. Oh, and then one of the actresses in Only Murders is SVU. That's, I was just uh, scrolling as you were from to that bad blood. She like plays the bassoon player. And I was like, that's an SVU girl. Small part, Wait, I'm sure. <laughs> but the one who plays the bassoon player in Only Murders? Yeah. Oh, well, that's a famous actress. That's Amy Ryan. Yeah, so she's yeah. in an SVU. Oh, I didn't know she was. Yeah, she's in the one where it's called Bad Blood, and it's like the bro there's brothers in a building. Yeah. There, it's another building. There's brothers in a building, and she plays the wife of, like, one of the bad brothers, who I think bullies the other brother or whatever. Wow, she's amazing. I love her. She is married to like the showrunner from um, Broad City. So I worked with him once and was like, I love your wife. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Um. Anyway, that's fun. Maybe we'll get her. Uh, but we have an awesome guest today and a great episode. So let's get going. All right, guys, we're getting into Contrapasso season 19. Episode three. This is from back in 2017, guys. Okay, so we open on Finn and Carisi walking on the street. Carisi's regaling Finn with some old childhood stories about shoplifting Rolos. And holy shit, I do love Rolos. And maybe I could fuck Carisi. Who knows? Um, They're too and, chewy. I don't want it. I'd rather have a Carmelo. Oh, I don't need a Rolo. I mean, if it's in a dish, I'll take it. But I've never bought a Rolo in my life. I love like a fresh roll. Oh my God, I love them so much. Carmelo's too sloppy for me. The car caramel's all over the place. Yeah, but that's, it's just like melts. Every, it's just like a, so good. But you know, my name is Kara. When I was in college, I had a friend named Derek Mello and he would go, if we got married, you'd be Caramello, which I do love. Anyway, Finn's like, I was all about the jujubes and those to me are nasty. Like jujubes to me are like chewing plastic. Like I, there's the, the I feel like I'm going to like rip my gums off when I'm eating those. So, you know, we all have different candy preps. But Finn is so, old. So to him, it's like, this is the best. Being at the this movies. Is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of 
Seinfeld, but is that Juji Fruits? Is that a different it is. thing? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, you know that all went through my head. I was going to mention yeah. it. And it's different. <laughs> <and> the, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So now they're well, and your the- favorite. Seinfeld also has Junior Mints. There's a big Junior Mint I scene. I do which- love a Junior Mint. I love a Junior Mint. I love minty stuff. Okay. So Finn and Carisi are walking into the Skyline Hotel and Carisi ends a story with his mom busting him, making him confess to her and to God. But she never told his old man and Finn's like, my dad scared the shit out of me. Like he would have beat my ass. That's why I stayed out of trouble. So I'm thinking maybe these two are like walking into the hotel to like get a drink together because they're being so casual. And then they, it's like ding and they get out of the elevator and there's a uniform officer and it's like, oh no, they're fully responding to a call. And they've just been strolling in (laughs) to a crime scene talking about candy, which was really hilarious to me. So um, the uniformed woman cop is like, uh, yeah, we got a call about people screaming in room 240. And then when they got there, no one answered. So security let them in and there's a bloody steak knife in the sink. And they're like, okay, why did you call us? Like, why is this SVU? And they're like, look inside the ice bucket. And done, done. It is a pair of balls. And Finn's reaction, <laughs> Finn's reaction is great. He's like, oh, like, and I really would have loved to hear him say that's messed up here. But I mean, I don't have balls and I would still go, oh, like, yeah. I would not be happy to see it. Yeah. I mean, I don't even like balls really that much like on men. So I don't want to see them separated from men. Uh, and they were on the bed apparently when they got there, but the officer, quick thinker, put them on ice. So that was smart. But so please followed- message us if you're like a ball person. I'm curious. I bet some people like love balls. Yeah, and they should message us. Justin May Peluso used to do a joke. My boyfriend has the cutest balls. I want to turn them into a pair of earrings or something like that. Like she said, I just remember that joke from her a long time ago. Anyway, they, somehow the uniform cops did not notice this, but Eagle Eye Finn and Carisi notice that there is a full trail of blood outside of the hotel room that goes to the stairwell where they find a victim passed out, but still alive. Again, Finn and Carisi, what kind of candy do you like the best? Did your dad used to beat your ass? I mean, there's a man dying in a stairwell. But anyway, (laughs) it is the credits. So now the top of the act one, we're getting, the victim is named Jason Carr. And we've got that beautiful doctor, Dr. Darby Wilder, played by Ivana Kopax Wright. And I believe I'm saying that name right. I hope I am. We've talked about her before. Beautiful doc. And she's giving them the rundown. And she's like, yes, Jason Carr, the unfortunate recipient of an amateur gonadectomy, which I just thought that line was really funny. There's a couple funny lines in this episode, I will say. And uh, she goes, once the spermatic cord is severed, the testicles are just medical waste. And I love that. Like once you got your balls cut off, it's not like your dick. You can get your dick reattached. I think once your sperm, the testicles have left the building, they're gone. Um, So he'll be okay, she says, with plastic surgery, prosthetics, hormones. But he had no defensive wounds and his tox screen showed drugs and a high blood alcohol level. So he was, quote unquote, thoroughly zonked when he gave up the family jewels. I like that as well. Benson gets a phone call. And when she hangs up, she's like, all right, I've been cleared of all of my charges and the ACS investigation about Noah's bruises from when this little shit tried to run into the street and his mom saved his life. And then she had a full ACS report about it, which is so stressful. And so now, and a part of the whole Benson can't be happy crusade that goes on in the show. So now Finn and Carisi are talking to the woman who made the 911 call at the hotel. And she there, she's a realtor. She's like out placing a sign. And she's like, I was there visiting a friend. I heard a man and woman screaming. And so after I left the hotel, I called 911. And Finn goes, why not knock on the door and see if anyone needed help? Which I'm like, that's asking a lot of a woman considering how men kill women all the time. Like, I don't think you need to like go get involved in a domestic dispute. Calling 911 is enough, I would say. 
Unless you have backup or other friends or a weapon or something. No, like, I would they just... usually encourage, like, don't get involved and yeah, call for don't help. Get involved. You no can one is like, get in there, bitch. Yeah. And it's a weird thing of Finn, too, to be like, why don't you go in there and help? Like, it's not like it was a person passed out on the street who you can help. But anyway, Nora goes, it wasn't my business. And I called 911. So I thought she did her job. So now Finn and Carisi are at the home of Julie Wade. And she says she booked a room at this. They don't really tell you why they're talking to Julie Wade. You do find out that it was her room. Room 240 was her room. Um, and so just, I it seems obvious, but they didn't connect it initially. So Julie Wade... Uh, they're like, you. she answers the door and they're like, hi, we're the cops. You booked a room at the Skylight with your visa. And she's like, no, I didn't. I was home with my boyfriend. And then this boyfriend shows up and he's a true SVU cartoon character. Asshole. Like he comes out, yeah, an asshole. Like the typical like abusive boyfriend that's like, Julie, where are you? And then she, he comes out and sees two men at the door and goes, who are these mopes? Like just rude and like horrible. And then she, he's like, make me something to eat before I got to go to work. And it's like, Julie, you in danger, girl. Get the fuck out of there. And she looks in her wallet and uh, the card that they say she used to book this hotel room is gone. And so she's like, oh damn, I must've left it at Costco. And um, they show her the picture of the guy with the missing balls and she does not recognize him. So as they're leaving, Finn's like, this is sketchy. And he goes, my money's on Stanley Kowalski in there, which I love a streetcar reference from Finn. That's very fun. And he takes a picture of the motorcycle and the car in the driveway and says, Teru will run the easy passes. So now Benson and Stabler are talking to the victim, Jason, who says, I ducked into the bar to kill some time. There was a hottie there named Angela. We started chatting it up. And then he says, uh, they showed him a picture of Julie Wade and he was like, oh, she's not even close. And it's like, okay. Uh, I don't know. I felt like he was being rude, like, or something. <laughs> felt like he was like, she's not as hot as the woman I went upstairs with. But um, he said they had some cocktails. She invited him upstairs. She made him a drink from the mini bar. And then they started, quote unquote, getting friendly. like handshakes, high fives, you get it. This is the old Kim Rollins flautist special, you know, come up to the mini bar and get drugged. And that's the last thing he remembers. He says he came to, he saw all the blood and then he starts crying and he's like, I haven't even told my wife yet. So it's like, okay, this man's also cheating. What's going on? At the precinct, Rollins But I like is giving... this actor and I think he's been in a few other SVUs. Oh yeah, what's, he's so familiar and I'm an asshole and didn't look him up. I think he's also been in, like, comedy stuff. Like, I like him. Okay, I know where I know this guy. So he's in Veep. He's um, Owen Pierce in Veep. He's in the debate. He's, like, one of the, like, the, sh the idiot. He's one, one of, of the, the idiots idiot running for Running, president. okay, yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he is really funny. I meant to look him up. What's his name? Paul Fitzgerald. But he has, um... 64, I mean, he's working. And then his other SVUs are Tortured in Season 4 and Criminal Hatred in Season 14. So, you know, an SVU stan. Tortured is, I remember which one that is. The, sh the foot one, right? Cutting yeah. off ladies' feet. I think yeah. it's that one. Yeah. But he must just be like another, like a red herring because he's not like the, the bad guy, I don't think. Yeah. Anyway... So now we're at the precinct. Rollins is giving us a lowdown on the victim. His name is Jason Carr. He's 46. He's a copy editor for a trade magazine publisher. Uh, he's married but has no kids and he lives on Grand Street. So they're talking it out and Benson brings up that a castration is usually about revenge that's like sexually motivated, but he didn't know the perpetrators. So Finn is like, could just be some psycho that hates men. And I'm like, yeah, there are a lot of us out there. Uh, and Rollins suggests, just kidding, I, I love a lot of men, but a lot of you are terrible. Uh, or 
Rollins suggests that maybe and the cover men was- hate women. Like that is what's so funny about that <laughs> insult of like, oh, look at these man haters. And it's like, you mean s- the opposite is society. Like <laughs> hate of women is so ingrained in our world that it, we don't even talk about it. But it's like, it bothers me so much when like, yeah, if you want some like wife who just makes you sandwiches and can't leave the house, guess what? You hate women. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so Rollins is like, oh, maybe it was the cutter was doing someone else's business. It could be a jilted lover, a pissed spouse. Maybe it was Stanley Kowalski hiring someone else to do, do it or whatever. Um, and then Carisi gets something on the security footage. Two minutes before the 911 call came through, boom, there's Julie Wade, the Costco credit card loser, not calling her a loser, saying she lost her credit card, walking around the hotel and she's not in Yonkers with her jerk-ass boyfriend. She's at this fucking hotel where she said she wasn't. But my thing is, like, what? Are, where do these girls get off thinking they're going to trick everyone? It's I talk like, about it later. I okay. literally... No, later I have, like, a rundown of all their mistakes. And I'm like, girls, like, you just cannot. They've been um, through some trauma, but it's like, of course there's cameras. Of course they know it's you in the room. Of course there's an easy pass. Yeah. Like, what are you guys doing? But like, you know. where? let's wear a baseball hat where they can't really identify who it is. Like, who's who? Like, let's, I don't know. It's like very, I mean, maybe we watch too much SVU, but we're always telling people how they could commit their crimes better. Um, they bring Julie into the precinct, confront her about the credit card, show her a pic of herself on security. And she's like, that isn't me. And she's like, I mean, it looks like me, but it's not me. And it's like, babe, here's your easy pass receipt. And I guess my dad's right. Like, if you don't want the government following you, just don't use easy pass. Or if you're going to do a crime, just pay cash at the toll or something. I don't know. Easy pass. You can't really do that anymore. You can't do it anymore. Then you got to stay off the highways. But even then there's light cameras. It's tough. Yeah, you, take back streets to a location, then take an Uber, but you got to use someone else's account because, or take a taxi where you pay cash. It is really hard to not leave a digital trail these days, I will yeah. say. Because even if I was thinking you can call a, t- a car service and pay cash, but like the phone number is still there. Like, yes. it's just very hard to escape. And pay phones don't even exist anymore. I'm very munch right now, but it is hard to escape the arm. The, the eye of Big Brother. Yes, yes, yes. As much as I Because even that him. Idaho killer guy, like, he turned off his phone or whatever when he was doing those attacks, like, murders, but the, he had visited the house 12 times, and then he turned his phone on right after. And it's like, you think, even when you think you're being smart. It's like, did you not listen to Serial? Like, <laughs> cell phone tower pings were, like, the whole case in Serial. Yeah. Okay. So she denies knowing Jason, this woman, Julie, and Carisi's like, okay, so why was he in your hotel room? Then they tell her that he was castrated and she looks shocked. And she's like, if I'm not under arrest, I gotta go. And Carisi makes a joke like, oh, you gotta go home for your boyfriend's 4 p.m. feeding. And I kind of like that. He's like, get out of there, girl. And he doesn't know. um, She goes, he doesn't need to know about this. And it's like, yeah, because he probably will hit you or something. He seems like a full abuser. Um, Finn and Benson are trying to figure shit out because Jason says he doesn't know Julie. So what's the connect here? The knife they found in the hotel room had the name Cheyenne on it, which of course Liv knows immediately. She's like a nightlife queen. She knows that that is a steakhouse in Hell's Kitchen that is a few blocks away from the hotel and is probably where Liv went on a bad date once or something. And Finn's like, I'll go check it out. So they're talking to this hostess. She's like, I'm not good with faces. I'm more of a word person. And he's like, here's a word focus. And I just think it's like, we're getting some old school funny lines here. Um, this up, 
Oh, oh, and I noticed, when I was noticing this episode had some good lines, it was written by Richard Swearin, who one of our listeners named Randy came to our Boston show and told us that she knows him. So maybe we'll get him on the pod soon because he seems like a funny writer and would be fun. So this hostess's name is Lila and Carisi starts laying it on. She's very beautiful. And Carisi's like, Lila, are you on IG? And she's like, yes. And he's like, Tinder. And she's like, wouldn't you like to know? And then he's like, Facebook. And she's like, duh. And it's like, I don't know, it's 2017. I don't think anybody young and beautiful was really on Facebook that much anymore. I mean, I'm still on it for like mom groups. Like I'm just not on it, it like for social stuff that much. Um, and he's convincing her that he's that she's already a pro at identifying people because she's on social media. And it's like, okay, Carisi, I don't know how you got through there, but his flirting does make her focus. And she says, I've never seen the guy before, but I'm pretty sure Julie, the, he, she points to Julie. I'm pretty sure she was here that night. She had dinner with a regular named Evelyn Bundy. So Evelyn is a regular at a steakhouse. <laughs> and there were well, three Well, the millionaire matchmaker, Patty Sanger, says if you want to meet men, you go to the Palms. Go to steakhouses. You yeah. sit at the Palms. Yeah. So maybe that's what Cheyenne's up to. I mean, Evelyn. <laughs> My old boss loved the Palm. I was on the phone with the Palm multiple times a week. Uh, and she said there were three of them and Nora Galen is the one that picked up the check. Uh-oh, that is the realtor girl who called 911. So now something is up. How are these three ladies all connected? At the precinct, we do see Evelyn talking to Rollins. We don't really hear what they're saying. And then Finn strolls in with Nora and walks her by Evelyn and they like make on eye contact but don't acknowledge each other in any way. So they bring Nora into a room and they're like, we need to verify what friend you were visiting at the hotel, what their room number was. And she's like, I don't really feel comfortable giving out that information. And they're like, okay, weirdo, where were you before the hotel? And she's like, I was by myself. And it's like, they have credit card receipts. Like, do you not understand about credit card receipts? Like, are you going to argue that you had a dinner by yourself for like $200 at a steakhouse? I guess treat yourself, but they know that you're with Julie and Evelyn. And she's like, oh, okay, yeah, Julie. I remember her now. And then they're like, what about Evelyn? She's like, nope, don't know her. It's like, give it up. And um, she's like, I just met her that night and I know her as Eve. They were like, we just walked you past her and you didn't recognize her. She's like, you didn't say anything. And she was like, oh no, I didn't even recognize her. So it's all of this... Honestly, people on the show usually give it up a lot quicker. And these women are just like, lies, lies, lies. Like, really, I almost respect it. Like, they're just keeping digging and hoping that it will work. Um, and finally, she realizes the jig is up. And per plus, Carisi tells her to cut the crap. And she's like, I'm done talking. So now we cut to Evelyn, who is talking to Rollins. And she says, I go to that bar a lot. They got half-priced cocktail hour, which I'm finding it hard to believe that a steakhouse has that great of a, of a happy hour because cocktails there are usually like $18. I know, but, but maybe at the bar. Like maybe at the bar, maybe. the cocktail tables, yeah. they have their own little menu. That's true. That's true. So anyway, Evelyn's in there trying to catch a man. I don't get it, but she's there, she says. And she's like, I had never met these women before. I met them at, the bar, at a bar uh, and then they were nice enough to take me to dinner. And she's like, I don't remember. They go, what about Jason Carr? And she's like, I meet a lot of men. I don't think I know who that is. Like, blah, blah, blah. But she, you can kind of tell she's stonewalling. And she looks at his photo with the classic SVU, like, eye flicker, where it's like, you definitely know something. But she goes, nope, don't know him, you know? 
And then she goes to take her anxiety medication and Rollins is like, pills, booze, what's going on in your life right now, Evelyn? And it's like, she's on anti-anxiety medication and she was at a bar having a drink with friends. I don't really think that's like, she's self-destructing, but you know, Rollins is looking for a way in. And she, Evelyn, does not care to share with Rollins what is going on. And Rollins is like, okay, well, this guy got neutered right around the time that you were enjoying a lovely meal with these two strange women that you just met. So what's going on? And then she lawyers up. So the women are clamming up one by one. Back at the precinct, we've got Carisi at the corkboard breaking it all down. He's like, Nora's a realtor in Hastings. Julie keeps uh, keeps house for some bro in Yonkers. And Evelyn is a bartender in the city. But then Benson notices that Evelyn's license says Katona. And that means all three of these ladies have a uh, tie to Westchester County. And I grew up right down the street from Westchester County. My house is three houses away from the Westchester County border. So I did grow up listening to an ad for the Westchester County Fair. And this really reminded me of it. It's like rides and attraction, nonstop action at the Westchester County Fair. And it was just really funny. They tried to make it sound like it was in Alabama and it was in Westchester County, New York. Is it the same kind of like county fair that is stereotypical of like Iowa or the South or no? Did you ever go? No, I never went. I would have loved to, but I never got to go. But it was on the radio all the time at the Westchester County Fair. And I always wanted to go. And, but I don't know if it was like, you know, weighing, guessing a pig's weight and all the stuff that you get at a regular county fair or if it was just like rides. Well, and, I, it's and just like a dough. funny sketch. Like a Westchester fair is hysterical yes. to me. Yeah. <laughs> Like, instead of butter carving, I don't know what it is. Like, hiding your mistress. (laughs) Yeah, like, Westchester's, like, where Scarsdale is. It's, like, very, I don't know. It's just, it's, it has some towns that are not as wealthy, some towns that are very, very wealthy, some towns that are very Jewish. It's just funny, yeah, for there to be a county fair. So, anyway... These women were all born in 79 or 78. So let's check the high school. Nora's LinkedIn page, LOL, says Packard Prep in Rybrook, which I know of Rybrook as well. And Benson's like, is there a yearbook online from 95? And I don't think most yearbooks are online, but they immediately are like boobity boop and like pull up a yearbook. Maybe cops have access to some kind of yearbook database I don't know about, but I've never been able to find my own yearbook stuff online. And it turns out, done, done, All three of these girls went to the same school. Julie was a junior and the other two were sophomores. And twist, they were all in the Updike Literary Club and look who was their advisor. Bum, 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 Jason Carr. So now there's the connect. All three of these women were in a club. Now, if this wasn't our SVU detectives, do you think they would have gotten caught? Do you think someone would have done the yearbook and tried to connect them and find Jason Carr? Yes, because it's like a dude's dick actually getting cut off. Like, do you think um, just regular cops would be able to do this or want to do It depends. Like, I do think that in some cases, like when the cops are trying to find like a shooter that's on the loose or find like someone like the Boston bomber, I think they pull out all the fucking stops and they are very good at finding footage and doing all this shit. But like a guy being castrated, I don't know if they put all this effort in. I don't know. That's a great question. What do you think? I think, yes, just because it's the balls. I didn't, Ah. when I first asked it, when I first asked it, it was a leading question where I was like, of course they wouldn't. But then I was like, I think they might have empathy for this guy missing his balls. And maybe like, but then I think about like the West, the boogeyman crime we covered and how the woman was like, I think it's a 94 Mercury. And it was actually a 95 Mercury. And they just didn't open the scope of the search. And more women went missing. So to me, I just can't imagine them like finding a yearbook and connecting club sponsors. 
But and so quickly. I mean, it's obviously television, but all of this is done so fast. All the yearbooks are online. Every like the club photos are online. Like you yeah. might be able to find what high school I went to and what year I graduated randomly in some kind of weird database, but there's not gonna be a club of me writing for the school newspaper. I don't think that picture's up online, but I will yeah. put it on the Instagram if people are interested. Anyway. So now at the top of act two, we're at Carr's house and they're showing him the yearbook. And he's like, oh my God, I taught there 20 years ago. I don't really remember anything or any of the people or the students. And Rollins throws down pictures of the three women. And this is when we see Carr's very young wife is there. Like she looks much younger than him. And Jason is denying that she these women- She also looks any- of like a different time. Like she looks like she, little women time. She has very porcelain skin. Oh, she Very does, yeah. little princess, very dark, like Snow White vibes. Like very yeah. olden day kept princess, I feel. Yeah, with she her skin actually, hair. yeah, her skin was quite uh, alabaster. And- um so he's like, oh, these women had nothing to do with it. And he's he's obviously stonewalling. He's like, I just want to move this all behind me and, and move on and put it all behind me. It was bad enough I had to confess to cheating on my wife. But, you know, in the last 24 hours, she's completely processed it and forgiven me completely. Right, honey? And she's like, totally. <laughs> like, it's so funny. And then he asks the cops to leave. And as they're leaving, um, Rollins goes, his child bride knows he's hiding <laughs> something. And it was really making me laugh. And in Benson's office... Yeah, uh, child bride is a funny term. It doesn't mean anything funny and it's very serious, but saying child bride is funny. In Benson's office, she's there with Barba selling him on the case. And he's like, I cannot prosecute the assault unless the victim makes an ID. And then Carisi goes, why don't we charge all three with obstruction for obfuscating our investigation? And Barba looks at Carisi and goes, obfuscate? Yummy. And I'm like, do you want to fuck Carisi? Like, I get, it's so funny to me when everybody's like, Barba and Liv. And I'm like, I don't get a full gay vibe from Barba. I get a very bisexual vibe from Barba. Like, I feel like Barba wants to fuck everybody. (laughs) Like, and so I just, it was like, oh, I don't think I've ever noticed that he truly looks like he's flirting with Carisi in this scene, like turned on by his vocab choice. Um, So anyway, Benson's like, yeah, the obstruction charge could be the leverage we need to get these ladies to talk. And Barbara's like, yeah, you could do it, but get Carr on board or this train is going nowhere. And I don't know if that's a pun about cars and trains, but I like it. And then Benson says, get their asses for obstruction and put them in the same holding cell. Everyone leaves the office to go do their business. And then in walks, hot hottie, Trevor Langan, Mr. Mariska Hargitay, a.k.a. the personal laundry spokesman. And he's there to do a scene with his fucking wife. And I love it. And he's like, you don't return my calls. And he's got some bad news. When he helped Olivia do the adoption, he was under the impression that Ellie Porter's parents were both dead, which is what Ellie told Liv. But she lied. And done, done. Ellie's mother, Sheila Porter, is still alive. And Sheila has filed a petition to vacate the adoption. And I'm sure there's lawyers who listen to this who would know more about this than I do. But like, I'm a, as a CASA worker, as I've told you guys before that I am, I, it is my job to try to locate family members of the kids I've worked with because the foster system is designed that like kids can go to a family member, so, like, almost any distant family member over a stranger. Like if there's any family member in their life, a cousin they've never met who lives 10 states away, if they're willing to take the kid, that's who they go to pretty much in my experience if their house is, if their house is um, deemed like safe and all of the protections have been put in place. And so I find it extremely hard to believe that they would not have found Sheila in the routine records check when working on his adoption. Like 
I'm like, it's either TV magic or it's a major fuck up from Trevor Langan. And he's like, there's so many porters in New York state, but it's like, you can track down who people are related to via their social security numbers. It's not like you're just going to start calling every porter in the phone book and being like, is your daughter Ellie? Like, you can tell if she has parents that are deceased or alive. There are public records. So you're it's so kind of mad at him. I love it's that. It's kind I, of a huge fuck up. Like, yeah. it is. Like, I almost don't believe it because I think that they're obviously shoehorning it in so they could have a cool storyline with, with, a, with a cool actress who's going to play Sheila. But I just feel like if you're a lawyer, please write in and tell me if I'm right here because I feel like this is such a massive fuck up that like almost wouldn't ha- would be unable to happen. You would have to run social security numbers and check for other relatives. Anyway, Benson is obviously furious and she's like, if I lose Noah after everything I've been through and he goes, there's no legal basis to vacate the adoption. And it's like, yes, there is. Did you watch the episode Stolen? A boy who had been adopted for 12 years was returned to his biological dad who he didn't even know because biological relatives take precedence. There's absolutely grounds to vacate this adoption. I don't know why he's like lying to Olivia. But again, lawyers, please write me. Um, And he's so he's trying to convince her that everything's going to be okay. And she's like, get the fuck out of here. And I mean, I get it because I think maybe she knows he's bullshitting or whatever. But now we see all three members of the castration club are in a holding cell and they are bickering. And it's like- That's merch. Castration club. (laughs) That is actual merch. You don't love castration club? Oh, like we're going to go around cut off cut off guys' balls? Yeah. I mean, I hope people wear that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Let us know if you'd wear <laughs> that. Yeah, like these girls are just in there being like, I told you we weren't going to get away with it. I mean, they're literally being so loud. They're not even whispering. And I'm like, these bitches never stood a chance. Like, don't book a hotel with a credit card. Pay cash. Don't leave the weapon behind. Call 911 from like a payphone or the lobby phone where they can't reach you. It's like, there's so many mistakes that these women made. But I think you find out kind of why later they made all, they didn't do all this pre-planning because I think that they didn't really know what was going to be happening. So... They're being very loud. They're like, tell them the truth and they'll go easier on them. And then they're like, Carisi, we want to talk to you. They're like, we don't want lawyers anymore. We want to tell the truth. And so, boom, that's the end of act two. Top of act three, Evelyn is spilling her guts. She's talking about being a sophomore at Packard. She transferred there from public school. She had no friends. And Mr. Carr's poetry class was like her only saving grace. He listened to her. He gave her compliments about how smart she was. Cut to Nora saying the same shit. He wrote notes on my paper about how I was smart. Julie, we're we're doing like a little bit of a bop around the world with all these um, different girls. Julie's like, he made me a mixtape of grunge music because he knew I loved Nirvana. I mean... That's some fucking grooming shit. You're 26, four years old, 26 years old, making a mixtape for a teen. Like, that's crazy. And they all felt um, very special about getting Mr. Carr's extra attention. And Evelyn uh, describes how he gave her this big conch shell. And he said it was a metaphor for me, a treasure washed up by the waves, plain on the outside and inside shiny and smooth with pink and orange swirls. And it's like, ugh. And she was 16 at the time. And Nora said the first time, then they're on Nora and Nora's like, the first time we ever had sex, he brought me to his apartment to watch a film. And then with Evelyn, he brought her out to his car to smoke weed. And then Julie tells her story and she's like, well, when I showed up to the place we were supposed to meet, he didn't show up. So she just like, the two girls got fully assaulted and then the other girl's like, I got ghosted. And, but it equally, it equal, not, not I don't know about equally, but it fucked the, her up anyway. She felt very worthless that this man who had given her all this attention and like love has, was now, 
just ditching her. So that's, she started to self-harm. And so at the 20th reunion, they realized what was up. They all kind of shared a look. They started sharing how this teacher fucked them all up emotionally. Like Julie has self-harm. Nora has major trust issues that have led her to be alone. And Evelyn's like me. I mean, I mean, she doesn't even get into it. I guess she's just like, I'm a mess. As Rollins said, I take anti-anxiety medication and I enjoy a couple cocktails. Well, not only and, that, um, she had, you know, some tattoos. Yeah. She had, you know, uh, she was a little goth. She was a paramour punk girl, you know, so we could tell she's dark-sided. Yes, a little bit edgy and yeah. like you could tell some maybe, yeah, dark-sided. I love that. I cannot hear it without... But I see her thinking about your husband. Without hearing, you're dark-sided. Like, I love it so much. Oh, I only know it because of uh, Jared wanting a dark-sided kid. Oh, yeah, but do you know what it's from, dark-sided? Well, you said now I know it's trading spouses, but I didn't oh, realize yes. that. Yes, okay. I didn't realize we talked about this before. You know I can't keep track of no, what we talk about. Uh, well, no, because you just mentioned it, but... Uh, I could see her like bartending in so many bars I went to in Chicago and well, probably New York. Like she also looks like someone that would be a Jumbo's clown room. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, she and is also it's like not to, not to judge what anybody does, but this is like a woman in her 40 or I mean in her late 30s who's bartending, but was like a very gifted student and poet and like, you know, it feels like maybe she's got some arrested development from what happened. Like, you know, yeah. I'm not saying that bartenders are not smart people, but I think that it's implying like she, you know, she didn't go on to like write or like do things with her passions. Uh, unless she's passionate about bartending. What do I fucking know? Anyway, they, um, they all thought that if they could confront Mr. Carr, they could get some closure. So Julie reached out to him and he agreed to meet her at the hotel bar. And Evelyn is telling all of this and then she kind of stops and she's like, to Carisi, she's like, you're not going to understand this because you're a man. And Carisi's like, look, that guy was a predator who belongs in prison. And she's like, still not buying it. But then Carisi reveals he has a niece. There's a female person in his life who magically turned him good. So, but he's like, He's like, if I had a niece, if I if someone did something like this to my niece, I'd fuck that guy up. So I understand where you're coming from. He's like trying to get on her side and like make her feel trust with him. So now Evelyn does feel safe and continues talking to him and says, they asked Carr if he remembers what he did to them. And he acted like he could barely recall it and that he was a great teacher and taught them to love the arts. And also that they were teen sluts and they seduced him. So he blamed them for their experience. And then Evelyn totally lost it and was like, I wanted to damage him the way he did damaged me. So she spiked his drink with the pills. And once she was passed out, she got the knife that she stole from the restaurant. And it's like, uh oh, bitch, that's premeditation. Like, and, uh, she said she told Julie and Nora to leave. So that does a little bit explain why they made so many mistakes because they weren't planning this out to be a physical attack. All no, of them, it's like, like it was fully trauma. Yeah. And it was spur of the moment. But if I think, I thought if they were all planning to confront and maybe physically hurt him, they had they needed to do a little bit more cover up but i think instead they were just like let's make up a bunch of half baked lies and see if we can get out of this <laughs> so she tells julie and nora to leave and then she explains the name of the episode to caresi she's like do you know the term contrapasso it's from dante's inferno which i don't want to brag but i've actually read and it means to suffer the opposite like in italian contra means against so i think it's like what it means is basically the punishment in hell is the opposite of the crime or it's a mirror of the crime. Like if you're a rapist, you lose your balls. So him sexually uh, abusing these women's, yeah, means that he had to get his balls What's cut off Dante's as the proper punishment. What's Dante's Inferno about? Dante's Inferno, well, Dante, uh, the, the divine comedy is in three parts. It's Inferno, Purgatory, and he and um, and um, Heaven, I think, or it's not called that because it, 
uh, it's Inferno, Purgatorio, and then, yeah, I think it's heaven. And um, it's a guy going on a journey through all the layers of hell. And um, it's wild. Inferno is the best one. Paradiso, paradise, heaven. Yes, I should have known that. Um, I read it 20 years ago, but I took a class on Dante and it's actually super, super fascinating. It's like really, really filled with like a lot of symbolism and like cool metaphors and like it's fun to read and like fun to kind of like talk about, but it's wild. Like you see people that are just like in hell. Um, they have to be like face down on the ground with like fire going into them. Like the, the shit that's in Inferno is, is wild. But, um, you kind of have to read, you can read it like on your own, but I felt like I had to read it in a class with like a teacher, a professor kind of like guiding me. Cause it's not like, and then we went to this neighborhood. Like it's a very, um, like sort of more abstract story about, um, uh, like moving through these different levels of hell. And then you go to a purgatory and then paradise and what's happening. So I don't know if I explained it very well to you, Lisa, but you that's did. that. Um, and then, uh, I hope it's as fun as Hades Town. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she has a fun line at the end. She was like, well, so I'd like to thank you, Mr. Carr, for always encouraging me to read the classics. And I love that. Like, he taught her this literature and then she fucking used it to cut his balls off. So, a smart woman. Benson arrives at work and the whole squad is immediately on her ass. Like, they, like, descend on her the minute she walks in. And the um, they're like, the other two women didn't know about the assault, so we got to let them go because that gets rid of the obstruction charge. But Evelyn confessed, so let's get her assault one. And then Carisi is like, well, you know, if it wasn't for the statute of limitations, we'd be charging Carr with these with these crimes. Um, and Liv is like, you're right. Why don't you get her down here with her lawyer and we'll see if we can get a plea deal going. So... In the meeting, her lawyer says, Evelyn has some more tea to spill, but you have to promise not to use it in court. And Liv says, all right, I have to run it by the DA, but let's get talking. And she knows, Evelyn knows she did a bad thing, but it freaked her out to see him again. She was drunk and she just snapped when he blamed them for what he did. And then Liv's like, okay, girl, but like there's a statute of limitations, like we can't charge him. And you brought a knife. And she's like, I brought the knife for protection from Carr. He can get violent. And then she's like, say more. And Evelyn's like, the last time I went to go see him was at his apartment. I went to break it off with him because I heard he was seeing a different teen. And he got angry. He took a corkscrew, held it to her face, and then he held her down and he sexually assaulted her. And Liv knocks on the glass and like knocks on it and goes, you seeing this? Or no, she goes, you on this? And uh, behind there, it's like Carisi and Barba and Finn, I think. I think Barba's there. But they and, really rarely break that third wall. Like I like the knocking on the window. Yeah, she doesn't usually like knock to be like someone's just, watching. Yeah. Like she's normally like, I'll be right back. Um, and so basically what this means is because he used force with a deadly weapon, that knocks it up to rape one and there's no statute of limitations for that. So um, Rollins is like, she could have just come up with this. Like she might've just, Barbara's not there actually. It's just Rollins and Finn and Carisi. And Rollins is like- And of course like, Rollins. Yeah, Rollins, Rollins is like, I don't really believe victims. So like, I she could have just come up with this and it's like, I guess, but I don't think her lawyer would have like, made her perjure herself. And I don't think she has such a knowledge of the law that she knows what rape one has a statute and the other one doesn't. And Finn and Carisi, like, no hesitation are like, we believe her. It's like, take a note, Rollins. And so they go and they arrest Carr at his apartment. And his wife is like, what are you doing? So now in the fourth act, 
Benson is walking into her office where Carr's baby bride is waiting for her. And she's like, how can you do this? Et cetera, et cetera. And Benson's like, how did you two meet? And he's like, you think because he's older than me, he has some kind of fetish for young girls. And it's like, most men do. And you are 25 years old. Like she's like, we met four years ago when I had a summer internship for college. So worse, at the oldest, she's 26. At the youngest, she's 20, like three or something if she had the internship her freshman year. And it seems like a lot of the child brides, it's like, well, I'm an exception. We really have this like deep connection and maybe you are connected. Like age gap love, I guess, happens, but it's not as unique as these people want to make it seem. Yeah. And he does marry her, but he is also still cheating on her. So it's like, you could feel better, like different, like, oh, he put a ring on it for me, but he's also cheating on you. So... Liv, um, she's 25 now and she's like, we're never going to have a family. And Liv's like, well, here's a photo of my adopted son, Noah. Like he makes everything worth it. And she's like, she says the most wild thing. She goes, an adopted kid would just be a reminder of the night he stopped being a man. And it's like, do balls really make the man? I guess I just never thought of that. Like Steve lost a ball in Sex and the City. You can still have sex. Like, I don't know. It's a weird uh, thing to say, but she's also a baby. So, no, Liv I says, think if both balls are gone, you're done. I don't think you can get hard. That's what castrating is. Oh, and that's why he has the prosthetic. Yeah. Like, I don't know. The from Game of Thrones, like the monks or whatever. I don't know. Like, they cut the eunuchs. Yeah. The eunuchs. Yeah. But the, but the eunuchs, I think, have their dicks cut off. Oh. I think eunuchs have no dicks. But I feel like castra- maybe castration's just sperm. Yeah, I don't I'm, know. I'm Googling eunuch. I feel like no, eunuch Casey's gets their dis- doing it. Okay. <laughs> oh, no, it's a Kay- man who's been castrated. Yeah. Okay, so I'm wrong. I always thought that they had their dicks cut off. You can't just cut I- off a dick because then you can't even pee. Well, you just have a big hole. You can't cut off a dick. Lorena Bobbitt did live. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm so sorry. I'm an <laughs> idiot. Balls. It's just being castrated. It's just cutting off your balls so that you can't have sex. I'm sorry. He can't have sex. I don't know. I just feel like it's like mean. He'll still get a prosthetic. You can still fuck. Like, it's weird to be like, he's not a man anymore because he got his balls cut off. Like, yes, a dog is you're- still a dog. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be a little more empathetic. He lost his balls mere days ago. You know what I mean? Like, they could- maybe with time he can figure out he's not. Even Steve had some existential issues about his manhood, even with one ball. That's why she fucks him. It was okay. a pity. It was a mercy fuck, as Samantha Jones calls it. Yes, you are correct. Okay, fine. I take it back. He stopped. But it is also wild to say that an adopted child would remind you of the night your husband got his balls cut off. Yeah, she's 25. (laughs) She's an idiot. (laughs) I think I told you there's a comedian and he was on stage bitching about his wife. If I said this on the podcast, cut it out, whatever. Um, Or get used to it. We repeat things. (laughs) So this comic was doing jokes about his wife and the guy next to me goes, his wife seems toxic. And I go, she's 25. And this man is deep in his 40s. Oh, God. the guy next to me started laughing and goes, that explains so much. And I go, yeah, up top of his jokes, he should say, I dated, I'm married to a child bride. So that's why she acts like a fucking lunatic because her brain's not fully developed. You know what I mean? (laughs) <laughs> but he's up there telling jokes like my crazy wife. And it's like, she's over 20 years younger than you. Like, yeah, you learn lessons in time. So of course she has these beliefs, you know yes. what I mean? Yes. Okay. Um. So 
In court, Evelyn is on the stand telling her story and she's describing in detail the night that Carr attacked her to Barba on the stand. And she's like saying that he said, you can't break up with me, only I can break up with you. And then Barba sits down and it's Carr's lawyer's turn. And this actress is Annabeth Gish, who is um, a childhood favorite of mine. Are you familiar with Annabeth Gish, the woman that's playing the lawyer of of Jason Carr? No. So she is from the movie Shag. She's from the movie Mystic Pizza. Like, she is just a really big part of, like, movies I watched in my childhood. Like, you would love Shag. It's, like, about a bunch of girls that, like, tell their parents they're going to Fort Sumter, but instead they go to, like, Hilton Head and they go to one of their vacation houses and they just have fucking parties and they hook up with guys and they enter dance contests. Bridget Fonda's in it. It's, like, a big— It's Bridget Fonda, Phoebe Cates, and Annabeth Gish. I'm obsessed with Shag. Um, And then she recently, Annabeth Gish, played— You know, one of my hometown murders is this woman, Jennifer Dulos, who famously had five kids in New... And they lived in New Canaan in my town. And she disappeared. And her uh, SUV was just found near where I had my post-prom and was just like, never. And then her husband took his own life. He clear... Her ex-husband, he clearly did it. Like, but it's wild. She's just gone. Like, no one ever found her body. And Annabeth Gish just played her in a movie called Gone Mom. I think a made-for-TV movie. But anyway, it's a wild story. I'm sh- I'm sure there will be an SVU about it. I just wish he wrote where her body is or what he did before he took his own life. Not that I would expect him to be a polite man in his death, but No, like he was you. actually like a full psychotic narcissist. Like all the, all, there was like a very big article in like New York Magazine or Vanity Fair, one of the, maybe the Atlantic, like one of those big ones that I read about their relationship. And it was like, he was a full like asshole. And so I'm sure he wouldn't do that. He also just took his own life and left his kids without a father, like five children um, to get away from what he did. So it's really, or I mean, I think he did it. I think all the evidence points to him doing it, but you know, I guess I can't say it's alleged. Anyway, this, Annabeth Gish, this is her only episode of SVU playing a defense attorney and she's a bitch in heels. She's like asking Evelyn, so did you ever tell anyone about this attack? And then uh, she's like, no, I didn't because I didn't think anyone would believe me. And then she's like, oh, because you were having consensual sex with him for like six months. And it's like, this is a very dumb lawyer move to even bring up consensual sex to someone who's talking about something that happened when they were 16 because we know that she can't consent. And that's what Evelyn says. She's like, I couldn't consent. I acquiesced. And then she goes, oh, is that a fancy word that means you liked it? And that's not what acquiesce means. And it's very rude. And Barbara objects and the judge overrules it, which I don't really get. And then so she just starts like badgering Evelyn about you're only bringing up this forcible rape claim because you know it's a way around the statute of limitations. And Evelyn is like, bitch, I was a teen and my teacher who trust I trusted took advantage of me. And then huge dramatic moment she pulls out the conch shell that she was referring to earlier when she was talking to, I think, Rollins or something. Or no, Carisi. And she's like, remember this, Mr. Carr? I saved it as a reminder. And the lawyer is like, move to strike. And before the judge can even respond, Evelyn like raises the shell up and then smashes it on the edge of the witness box. And it's really dramatic. She's bleeding, shaking, holding like shards of shell in her hand. And then they cut to a shot of Carr, but you can see his wife right behind him like glaring. And so we know something's up with that little baby. So we go to recess and get Evelyn a a fucking Band-Aid for her hand. And Carr's wife looks furious on the way out of this scene. So the next scene, 
She walks into the precinct and she, I feel like she's wearing the same clothes. It's the same day, but maybe I was like, she just ran home and she she knew that there was a box of Jason's old teaching papers in the basement. And so she went and got them and she's holding the Packard Literary Journal from 1995. And she directs them to a poem on page 15. Rollins glances at this poem and then is like, why are you showing this to us? This actually like hurts your husband's case. And then she reaches into her purse and pulls out Dun dun, a shell just like Evelyn's. She got conked too. <laughs> so this dude's just out there giving <laughs> shells to random teens across decades like a full weirdo. And now, and they're all falling for it. Every single one is like, thank you for my shell, daddy. And so now Jason is on the stand saying, not to make fun of them, a teacher giving you attention, a young teacher giving you attention and coming on to you like that, I could absolutely have seen myself falling for something like that. I think I had crutches on like all my male teachers that were under 30. And now Jason's <laughs> on the stand saying, I was really young when I taught there. I had feelings for Evelyn. And he goes, I know it sounds creepy, but I was 24. And it's like, and she was 16. Like, it's weird. I wouldn't, a 24-year-old now, I'd say like, no, you can't do that. And he's like, I look back and there's no excuse. I took advantage of my power. It was wrong. And I'm so sorry, but I never used force to get Evelyn to have sex with me. So then this is what it's all boiling down to. He's not now not denying that he had sex with teens. It's all about this one encounter with Evelyn with the corkscrew. And so... He said, I wanted to say sorry to the women and that's why I agreed to meet them at the hotel. But then he describes everything that's happened since he got castrated, like the plastic surgery, the hormones, the nightmares. And every time he looks down, he's reminded that he'll never be a dad. And it's like, I don't really care, sir. And maybe you shouldn't be a dad. You're like out there hooking up with teens when you're in your 20s. And he starts crying and this man can cry on a dime. So I don't really know if I trust it. Um, and because he's this is already the second time he's cried in this episode. And he can't believe that someone could do this to another human being. And he's like, haven't I suffered enough? And now it's Barbara's turn. And guys, he's got that literary journal in his hands. And he whips that baby over to Carr. And he's like, would you mind reading page 15, the poem aloud? And he has such a smug Barbara look on his face. It's kind of fun. Like I normally hate smugness, but when Barbara's smug, I kind of love it. Yeah. Um, and the poem is called Corkscrew. And it's a full poem about being assaulted. And, and he's like, would you say that the person that, he, the man reads it out loud, Carr. And then Barbara's like, would you say that the author of this poem was sexually assaulted? And he's like, everyone knows poems are just fake and imagination and they're not real. They're all metaphors and stuff. And it's like, yes, Evelyn wrote the poem and it was published in April of 1995. This is very damning. Like she may not have told somebody, but she fully recounted this happening in a published work. And then we get shots of Evelyn looking very dramatic, the wife looking very dramatic. What's going on? Next scene, Liv sidles up to Barba at the bar and she knew exactly where to find him. It's probably Forlino, Forlini's or whatever because when he comes back, it's called Last Call at Forlini's Bar or something. So Barba is considering offering a deal and he says he could do four years, the same as what Evelyn's going to do. And Liv's like, um, but you proved that it was forcible. And then he, uh, he says, yeah, if she had done anything other than castrate him, like broke his nose, poke him in the eye, this would have been easier. He's like, I think there's seven men on that jury who are going to feel Carr's pain because they too have balls. And so they have this philosophical combo about like why they do what they do. And then Liv goes, we do this because the next girl who gets raped needs to know that that person is us. And I feel like the editors forgot a line because it's like, what person? You didn't, 
really. I know it's like the person who's going to fight for you, but the language is weird. Um, I watched it six times to try to understand what was going on. And I was like, oh, it's just like an editor took out a line about like, we're the person that fights. Um, So back in court, it's closing statement time. And Carr's lawyer, Annabeth Gish, is talking about an eye for an eye, basically saying like, not even denying the crimes anymore. Like, even if he did this, he's received adequate punishment. And Barba wants not only the eye, but an ear as well. And so um, she's like, is that just? Are we giving Evelyn more justice than she deserves? And it's like, how do you get to decide how much justice a rape victim gets as a teen, like a teen rape victim gets? So it's really wild. And she is a master bitch. I'm loving this for her. So now Barba gets ready for what is going to be a masterclass closing argument. I did say this is one of his best performances, what we're about to see. He crumples up a piece of paper, like, get ready for this. And he's talking about um, if fair equals just. He's like, got it. So we've, we're, we've all decided that fair equals just. And he's arguing that that's kind of, we can't let it just be like that. Like, if a guy whose house burns down can just go out and burn down the house of an arsonist, or a guy whose kids are murdered can go murder the kids of his kid's killer, it's fair. So it must be just. Like, if it's the same, it must be just. And he's like, but then why bother with cops or courts? Like, honestly, if that's the way it's going to be, we can all just go vigilante justice until our heart's content, you know? Like, everybody just do eye for an eye all the time. And he's like, if it's fair, it has to be just. Let the blood flow in the streets, I say. You don't like it? I say get a bigger pair of boots. So I think he's arguing about the Pandora's box that this could, like, that this leads to of, like, talking about eye for an eye in court. And so, basically, what are we doing here in court if everything can be solved that way? And this is the reason Barba is, like, one of the greatest of all time, the GOAT. He, uh, the jury comes back, and Carr is, boom, boom, found guilty. And he looks scared as hell. Like, he's immediately like, oh, God, how am I going to get my hormones for my dick in prison? And Evelyn is crying and leaning on Olivia, and justice feels like it has been served. Now... In a final scene, we're at Liv's house. She's reading a bedtime story to Noah. I feel like this might be this little Noah's first season um, uh, when they made the jump from tiny Noah, to, uh, like toddler Noah to this Noah. And um, she's making cute jokes about, uh, you know, the rabbits in the book ordering sushi. And then there's a knock at the door and she's like, did you invite someone over? And it's like all cute. And then Liv goes to answer the door and boom, it is Brooke Shields who happens to be one of Mershka Hargitay's like best friends, by the way. And she introduces herself and says, I'm Sheila Porter, Noah's grandmother. And Benson gets that face where she looks like she's about to barf. And that's Dick Wolf, baby. And if you listen, if you follow the show, you know, Sheila Porter's going to have some Sheila's wild a dumb bitch. upcoming. <laughs> yeah, she's going to have some wild coming up uh, shit. So that was a great episode. Thanks for taking us through it. Um, A lot of twists and turns and listen to our commercials and we'll be right back. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. 
this is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. So this is a New York case, and I really tried to avoid the New York Post and other sources we don't respect, but I dabbled. They, they, really... do, cover, <laughs> they do cover New York crimes a lot, so it's hard. Yeah, um, but very uh, New York. So this case is about a teacher. This happened around 2014, 2015 vibes, and this episode's 2017, so I think it's pretty connected. So this man's name is Sean Shanak. He was a math and physics teacher at the Brooklyn Technical High School in Fort Greene, Brooklyn. And, um, you know, he was- Which is a, a great high school, by the way. I think Brooklyn oh. Tech is like a hard high school to get into and a good high school. Yeah, it's one of the most selective high schools in the city. And like de Blasio's kid went there and stuff like that. Yeah, it's definitely um, educationally- Top-notch, math and science. Um, so this guy, this little creep, he grew up on Long Island. Um, and one of his brothers played a character in the Showtime show, Ray Donovan. And I don't Whoa. know why the Times think that's, like, crucial information. But we are name droppers, so we do like that. <laughs> We're definitely... Uh, yeah, I've never watched Ray Donovan. Um, but Kate Menig is from it, like, is in it from L The L Word. So that definitely entices me. No, my know. parents love Ray Donovan, I think. I feel like Ray Donovan's like a parent's show. Like it is, it's like, I think it's mob stuff, right? Yeah, it's Organized like the cleaner crime. up. It's like the guy who comes yeah, yeah. and cleans it. Who's the guy in Pulp Fiction? The bear or the wolf, you know? Um, what the fuck's his, Harvey Keitel. Whatever, the cleaner upper. So he was 44 at the time of his arrest, very early in the school year of 2014. And at the time of the initial arrest, one of his former students tweeted, everyone knew this was coming. And that's how most, like a lot of it very, happens. Very Louis C.K. <laughs> Who's now making the podcast rounds. I don't know if you've noticed on your social media, but he is out there doing the pods right now. He's back. Wow. Not that he ever actually left anywhere, um, but... But it's just more places to not apologize. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> He's just like chilling, hanging out, making jokes about like masturbation schedules. Like I, I yeah. Um, and nobody should have been surprised like this student. Everyone should have known because he was very, he tried to act young with the students and he encouraged them to call him Shay Shay. So he wanted to be called Shay Shay at work. And he was adding people on Facebook and he was known to use terms um, like for realsies and LOL. Oh. 
So he's like a totes magoats dude. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, also, um, photos leaked of him in the past from the school, um, dressed as a sexy French maid. And also one year he wore a midriff bearing Britney Spears schoolgirl uniform. And these photos of him were in the yearbook. So he was wearing like sexy drag to school. <laughs> Um, so, uh, you know, he would, and being like, call me Shay Shay. Like, I just don't know how anyone was like, yes, he is a respected teacher. We should have at this top notch right. school. So the Times said he was considered cool because he wore jeans and had a mini Cooper. Now, you gotta be kidding <laughs> I didn't me. Know having a mini you Cooper. gotta be kidding me. I guess it was easier to be cool back in the day. I remember- this is like, wait, did I ever tell you about the boss I had who I, I like, I ended up hating him, but I worked for him really briefly. And he goes, I'm kind of a car guy. And he drove a PT Cruiser. I was like, <laughs> you cannot say you're a car guy. And, and his, guess what his license plate on his PT Cruiser said? You got to just tell me. Red pill. Uh, okay. PT Cruisers were so ugly. So, so ugly. Our friend um, Lane moved to Chicago with a P- his mom's PT Cruiser, but she w- she's anti-choice. And so, like, the license plate rim was, like, all lot, like, little children playing, like, little chalk children and stuff. <laughs> and so, when our friend started dating him, she had to be like, we're changing this immediately. Yeah. Like, you cannot have this on your fucking car. Um, but I remember our swim coach, he got a Volkswagen Golf, but then he told us that his mom bought it for him, and we're like, you fucking loser. <laughs> and now I'm like... Yeah, that makes you were in your 20s. Like, of course, your parents helped yeah. you get a car. You're like a part time swim coach. Um, but we just it's were just like, you loser. That, <laughs> it's just funny that jeans and a Mini Cooper are what got this guy cool status as a teacher. <laughs> yes. That is really funny. Um, so yeah, everyone just said he was like a teenager in a grown man's body. And before teaching, he never really followed through with anything and just jumped around from city to city, job to job, just flowing around um, until he decided to move back to New York and become. I'm a teacher. Um, he's a girl dad. I know it's shocking. Once you have a daughter, it's impossible to commit crimes. Yeah. His daughter was nine at the time of his arrest. Um, he was not with the mother of his child. They were separated, but he started dating her when he was a pilot for Express Jet. Like, this guy isn't a full idiot. Like, he did become a pilot. He was a pilot? Yeah, but then he left and then he didn't want to keep paying for his house. He let it get foreclosed. Like, he just... I'm not a very responsible person, so reading this was triggering to me, but he's not a responsible guy. It was just like, yeah, leave this woman. I don't want this job. I'm going to stop paying for this house. Like, that's kind of his vibe. You know, he wears jeans. He's a relaxed guy. (laughs) So he was a pilot for ExpressJet, and then he started dating this flight attendant while she was right out of high school. So right out of high school, she became a flight attendant and then they had a child and like separated very, very quickly. He would also wear his pilot uniform to school to show off and like pose for pics with the students. So anyways, back to reality. Um, So he was arrested for sending a nude photo of his genitals on Snapchat to a 16-year-old in June 2014. He actually was alerted that the student took a screenshot of his dick and he then sent her two pictures of his face looking angry to implicate himself even more in the dick photo. Oh my Uh, God. She told her parents about the photo and her father reported it to the FBI. And I was like, why not the local precinct? He had a friend in the FBI. So he Nepo babied his way to the FBI, who then um, told him, like, just let's go to the police. He was picked up in August 2014. And when he was arrested, he allegedly told police, fuck you, I'm not going anywhere. 
And he was wrong. He did go somewhere. And <laughs> he did. He did. He, he was taken. Um, he So not only this, like, so this 16-year-old got this dick photo. He then, with investigation, faced an additional 36 counts for years of sexual abuse against students aged 13 to 19. So seven girls over three years were assaulted by him. And Jesus. that's what added to the charges. He was charged with reckless endangerment, kidnapping, committing a criminal sexual act, and more. And and these are some things he did. So he did take a 15-year-old to a nude beach. And then ABC7 News added, without her parents' consent. And it's like, yeah, we assumed. We assumed yeah. the parents <laughs> didn't sign a permission slip to go to this nude beach in Jersey, okay? Um, he's brought a teen to a sex club. He then raped an 18-year-old. But New York Magazine, in quotes, put it as performing a sexual act on an 18-year-old without consent. And it's like, that's assault or abuse yeah. or rape. Like you can't, what? Like it's such a long turnabout way of doing that. Um, but basically what happened was he convinced one student to accompany him on um, to his subway stop and then to his home. And then in his apartment, he took his pants off, pulled out his dick and then inserted it into the student's mouth. So that is the, ugh, without a sex act without consent. Um, he requested two minor girls engaged in sex with each other after getting them so drunk on Jack Daniels and tequila to the point where one of them passed out. He grabbed a butt of a minor. He told students that they should, in quotes, put their hands on a teacher's thigh as advice on how to have sexual relationships with other teachers. He would hug students and press his pelvis against them. Um, he also would like take students and bring them like lunch outside of school and go out to lunch. He manipulated a lot of the girls with alcohol, cigarettes, and good grades. One girl received perfect scores constantly and she didn't answer the questions. Like she wouldn't answer questions and then had 100%. Oh my and God. so the two main groups of loyal students that he had were smokers and children in his aerospace classes, which is hysterical to me. So it's like <laughs> the nerds and the smokers, he all, he knew how to use them either with grades or with, or with nicotine. Um, one former student said to the New York Times that he had long seemed to be in a, quote, spiral of loneliness. And they continued, maybe with these students who looked up to him, who he cares about and who cared for him, he found what he was looking for, but he went about it inappropriately. Cool student. I don't know. Nice quote. He also had a history of problems dating back like before these crimes. So on October 3rd, 2005, he attacked an 11-year-old neighbor named Devontae Watson. He was just like, 11-year-old kid, roughhousing on the block, throwing rocks, and one rock hit his house. And the family said to the Times, even though he apologized, it was just kind of fucked up. He took this 11-year-old, beat him, and threw him to the ground. Um, and the boy went to the hospital. The Watson family was granted a restraining order for six months, but he um, was not convicted, and the charges were later expunged. But Devante, who's now at age 20, he said, um, yeah, I feel like somebody who would do that to an 11-year-old should not have become a teacher. And I thank agree. you, Devante. Thank you. Thank you. How you, uh, uh, thank you, uh, Mrs. Traeger. How you do one thing is how you do everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But especially beating a child. Like, yeah. it's just so crazy. Um, he was I can't believe he didn't get, like, convicted. Was there not... Was it, like, his word against the kid's word? Or, like... Well, I'm also I don't know. assuming there's probably some race stuff happening yeah. there. Yeah. Unfortunately. Sure. So, we don't really know how it would be handled in any other kind of capacity. I mean, he might not have gotten jail time, but it would have at least gone on his record. And then he wouldn't have yeah. been able to teach, you know? 
Yeah. He was also disciplined for berating a student in 2012. Um, and then he would go to high school parties. And this is the thing, like, this isn't funny, but he said he only went to the parties because he wanted to listen to new music. Oh, like, my God. I just kind of, like, love the delusion. There's just something about this whole case in him as a human that's like, what? And this um, is all happening early 2000s. Like, you would say, over seven years, I guess you would say it was, like, 2007 until 2014 kind of area. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Wow. It's like, like, in all the stuff that's here is just, like, I could almost see teachers doing some of this stuff in, like, the 70s, but not, like, now, you know? Yeah, but like the hug, like, you know, it's the thing Not of the like- the hugging and the grab ass, but- Students probably felt like they were special or like, can I tell someone or is this normal? Like, it's so hard to be sure of yourself as a teen. Even as an adult, it's hard to like- be sure of yourself. I mean, that guy who like kissed me on my neck out of nowhere. And I'm like a very capable, aggressive person. And in that moment, I was like, what the fuck do I do? You know? Yeah. And so, you know, with teens, it's like, I I can't imagine having to like deal with all this in your brain. Um, But yeah, so he smokes cigarettes with all the kids outside. Um, And then after the rest, they, you know, a search warrant was issued and they seized three computers on two phones and they found hundreds of photos and videos and about 10,000 text messages he exchanged with a 15-year-old. Shanak's defense was that the student was working on a project with him. I mean, he's like Casey Anthony lying. You know what I mean? It's like, you've been caught and they just cannot stop lying. And they also find a, they also did find a video of him having sex with a teenager, raping a teenager. I, oh god! The language of all of the news about this is so fucked. Like you can't write that. Like yeah. I, he um, also had um, sex with two girls once they reached seventeen, which is the legal age of consent. So he timed everything very carefully, like grooming, like grooming to the them up until they're legal. And that's why the whole thing with Dalia and anyone that's like loves to play with the legality of like, well, she was consent, and it's like if you're chasing consent like a surfer chasing a wave, like you're you're a pedophile, bad, like, sorry. yeah. <laughs> Um, So he was facing up to 25 years in prison if convicted. Um, At first, he pled not guilty and remained in jail and was held on a $1 million bond or like 600 grand in cash. I don't know why I wrote that detail, but, you know, I think fair. Um, Of course, the school and many students were split because some people were like, he's smart and cool, man. He's such a great teacher. Um, and then a bunch of them were like, oh yeah, he's a creep. One student even set her uh, their mother up with Mr. Shanak and wanted him to be their father and, uh, and adopted a free Shanak as their mantra online and still believes that he is innocent. So yeah. free Shay Shay for realsies. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so many students just like felt very close uh, with him because he walked and talked like them and they felt supported by him and it was all a very great cover to all of his abuse. Um, he did not speak in court at all except to say yes. Um, and then he ended up taking a plea deal. So he took a plea for the uh, serious charges of second degree kidnapping, which is a class B felony for transporting a 15-year-old student across state lines while taking her to that nude beach. He Ooh. also pled guilty to disseminating um, indecent material to a minor, endangering the welfare of a child, and official misconduct. The guilty plea did spare the young victims from having to testify publicly because I was like reading a bunch of the comments on some shit I was reading. I was like, five years, what the fuck? The system is fucked. I'm like, this the system is fucked, but like 
That's what happens when you plea. It's like for these young students yeah. not having to go public with yeah. all of this. So um, with the plea, he was sentenced to five years in prison and five years of post-release supervision and is now um, a violent predicate felon who must register as a sex offender and will never be allowed to teach again, obviously. Um, he was beyond happy with the deal because there was an end date in his head and he was like happy he would get to see his daughter. I don't know if he still has a relationship with his daughter or not. I hope no. So I couldn't find where he was. I couldn't find anything. And then I go, oh, he's on the sexual registry. I'll look his ass up. Uh-huh. So I looked his ass up on the sexual registry. It's homefacts.com slash offender details. And um, his last known address, unfortunately, is in LA 90027 zip. So. Oh, my God. I don't know if he's that far from us. That's not that far. Where is that? No, Casey's looking it up. Uh, But I don't think it's that far. He looks the same, but with like a little gray hair and he's smiling and he's just like kind of a little fuck nugget. Oh, it's like Glendale, baby. It's Glendale. So he is in Glendale. Last known address, Glendale. Wow. It's either Glendale or it could be Los Feliz or Thai Town. I knew it was Los Feliz. As soon as I heard it, I was like, I have a fr- I've written that that zip out for Christmas cards because I have friends that live in Los Feliz, as I'm sure you do. And I don't remember their actually, zip codes. It's actually not Glendale. It's literally Los Feliz or Thai Town or Little Armenia. Wow. That's a nice neighborhood. Those are nice neighborhoods. So, but I don't know what he's doing for work. Who I knows? don't know anything, but who knows? I forgot that the registry is a source. Yeah, good job. So that um, was fun because, um, yeah, I just couldn't. I, I did find a LinkedIn under that name, but there was no photos or info. So, like, maybe that's an, a different one, you know, or maybe he does have a LinkedIn. Don't hire him. I wouldn't think that LinkedIn would be a great place to be if you're a sex offender. Hopefully, there's not anybody that has the name Sean Shane and is trying to get a nice job out of college. Um, anyway, thank you for telling me about that, Lisa. I truly, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm an, I'm a free newspaper queen, and I lived in New York at this time of this arrest, and I don't think I knew anything about this. Yeah, it was really like um, the articles were really centered around like just the times where it happened, and it was it seemed like it was a quick plea deal. It, it seemed quick. It seemed like a really yeah. quick case. I think, um, and if it was in a, maybe not this prestigious of a high school, I wonder what the attention would be. Yeah. Who knows? Totally. It's a good, I mean, I had kids from camp that went there. It's a great high school. Um, all right. Don't go anywhere. We've got a great guest. Okay, today's guest, you guys, is the definition of booked and blessed, baby. She has recently been seen on Chicago PD, Chicago Med, SWAT, and has a recurring role on FBI. Plus, she even acted alongside one Christopher Maloney on Law & Order Organized Crime. But in the SVU universe, you know her as the conch shell-smashing Evelyn Bundy. Guys, enjoy the chat that we enjoyed with Kathleen Monroe. Have you always been fashion icons? Is that through your age? Like, what? <laughs> what is your fashion um, journey? <laughs> is that uh, <laughs> no, I love that. I, I love this question. Thank you so much. Um, 
I do, you know what? I try, and this is like also supported by the, the energy of, of my wife who kind of lives her life this way, but like we don't buy anything new really. So like mm. it just means that everything that, uh, kind of like every, almost everything, I'd say like 95% of what I have in my closet is like pre-owned from a market or something or from a, you know, like a, a some kind of consignment shop or used store or whatever. So it just feels like, um, like I feel really comfortable when I don't, um, have the same stuff as everybody else. So everything feels like a, like it finds me. Yeah. There's a story to it all. And how was the wardrobe on SVU? Just a seamless transition. Oh man. I mean, I remember when they, they, when I got there and, uh, we started the fitting and I was like, Oh, she's a bad girl. Like she's a bad, (laughs) like they, they, I remember they had like, uh, ear cuffs and like little, like extra piercing things. And, I don't know. I mean, it's cool when, when that happens because it just does so much of the acting work for you. Like, you know, it just, it kind of like announces character in this way. Um, so yeah, I, I got what they were doing with the, with the wardrobe. They also remember the hairstylist wanted it to look like I had an undercut. So she just braided the sides of my yeah, hair. Yeah, I, <laughs> I noticed the braids. Yeah, I noticed the braids. Because I remember yeah. being like, I know that hair and wardrobe did that, but how does a regular girl wake up and just go, know, right? mm, I'm just going to like do super tight <laughs> braids in my, yeah. like it looked I, so difficult. Got nothing going on in my life at that point. So may as well spend <laughs> four and a half hours making it. Yeah. Yeah. Just giving no. myself like, yeah. I, what do you cut? Like cornrows almost cornrows like basically just on, on the side. side. Yeah. Wait, what yeah. about the tattoos? Tattoos, uh, did they add, I have a few tattoos and I did watch the episode again and I'm trying to remember Ooh, if they added, I think they had like added. some wrist stuff. You had like added, some pieces. Yeah. yeah, those were added. Yeah. But she yeah. definitely was like an adult, like goth punk. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Which like, you know, I, I was, you know, I, I came of age in the nineties like that. I, I, that wasn't so far from my heart. I, I got it. Yeah. And did you know you booked it in the room? How was the audition? How did you react when you got it? Okay. This what a wild thing is I did not audition for this part. Hell yeah. Um, Ooh, which is me. like I, I know, like <sighs> this is a rarity that this happens in my life. Um and it was it was really funny because I had I think I had I had um auditioned right to the end against Sophia Bush for uh Chicago uh, PD. Oh, for her and, part. Wow. Yeah, and and she obviously, I mean, what am you know, like she's gonna get that and she was fabulous. And um, but Jonathan Strauss, who's the casting director who's incredible, does all the Dick Wolf stuff and is just like a real loyal guy, it turns out. And uh um yeah, and just just called me. He actually, yeah, I actually got a call for something else. And I don't remember what it was in the Dick Wolf world, but it wasn't a SVU. But before the SVU call, um, something else came up and I had like, I never get, you know, offers are very rare, right? Like this was a very, a very nice thing that they were even thinking of me, that they remembered me at all. And I had just, I had just done a series of like real heavy victim parts, like um, like got like brutalized in like show after show after show for like a little stretch of, of, of time there. And I was like, I remember talking to my agent. I was like, I don't know if I can do another one-off like trauma show. Like I think I, I yeah. like playing like a victim and something came up in that realm from, from the like Dick Wolf people. Right. As I had said, like, I just need a break from like dying and getting like beaten. And, um, 
And so something came up and I was like, I, I, I remember talking it through with my agents and I was like, I don't know. I just, I think I need just like a break from, from playing a victim. So I said no to something, which again, like I have no right doing ever in my career, but it just felt really like the right thing to do for, um, for where I was at. And I was like, well, they're, they're probably never going to call me back now. And then the next week they call me back and they're like, okay, do you want to go on SVU and play the girl who cuts off the guy's balls? And I was like, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it was like a kind of out of nowhere and I was beside myself. I was so, I was so, so excited. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, what about like, you were facing off with some of the big ones. You were with, yeah. you were with Peter Scanavino a bunch. Oh, it's yeah, wild. Think, yeah. You had one-on-ones with Kelly Giddish, uh, Mariska Hargitay, and Peter Scanavino. Full yeah. one-on-ones. That's yeah, amazing. It, yeah. Oh, it was, it was incredible. And they were all, uh, they were all really lovely. I remember everyone as like, as you know, at this point, like the, the level of sensitivity on that set is really high. So everyone was like really, really lovely. Um, I remember like Mariska just being kind of like, um, like just this supportive presence, you know, she, and she was like one thing I remember she did too on, I think it was our last day was with the, girls, the other girls. And I just thought it was such a sweet thing that she did. Like we'd been kind of chatting and stuff and she was like very, very generous um, with her like conversation even on set, like just, um, you know, just just sweet. Um, and she suggested like at the end that we all take a photo together. And like, definitely we were all prior to that, like being like, can we get a photo with her? What are we going to do around here? Together? <laughs> and, um, and I just was like, that's the, the, the coolest thing that she, uh, yeah, just like offered and stepped on and was, yeah, a doll. But like crying into her bosom, you know? I feel like people of a certain level like that will do that. Like Andy Cohen did that to me and to Lisa when we were just oh. on Watch What Happens. Like he came oh up, God. he's like, let's get a photo. And I was like, well, thank God. Because I was obviously going to ask for one. Right? It's such a generosity. Like it's so cool. It's so cool. Um, yeah. But they were all great. Like Kelly, I remember being really great. Um, and, uh, and Peter as well. That scene, I remember he was like very just like sensitive and seemed kind of like emotionally invested. Like he was, he was really like right there. Um, yeah, it was good. We didn't do it too many times. Like he was like really just, just on and, and a yeah. sweetheart. Yeah. That's what we hear that it's like really fast paced on there. I don't mm-hmm. know if you, but you've done so much other like procedural and Dick Wolf stuff. I feel like just looking at your resume, I mean, mm-hmm. Chicago PD, FBI, and yeah. then the NCIS, CSI, like, yeah. I don't know, do you have a favorite squad? Oh, man. I mean, to <laughs> what, like, I, like watching I, SVU, like, that was like, it was such a, an unbelievable um, treat to get to be on that set because that's, that's the one that I watched most of. Um, I really loved FBI. Like, I did, I went in for one episode of FBI and then ended up just like staying for a while. And, uh, and they're just, they're, they're like a nice, nice group over there. Jeremy Sisto, love him. Um, Alana, oh, yeah. like everybody there is just like, just lovely. And that was just the one that I spent the most time with. So, um, they, they have a, a really special place in my heart. And I just got off, uh, guys, tomorrow, my first episode of Organized Crime airs, which I just did. <gasps> oh, yeah. Wait, I, I watch like religiously. I'm like okay. really into organized crime. So okay. are you allowed to say what you're playing or you can't really? Um, I, 
I I actually don't know, but I mean, you're probably it'll it'll have it'll air like it's airing literally tomorrow. Yeah, I think this the, comes out. Oh, it's and, airing tomorrow. Sorry, yeah. I thought maybe you were shooting it tomorrow. No, sorry, no. So I've done. Oh, I'm excited to watch you. Thanks, I'm excited to see it. It's uh, I mean, I'm like such a stabler head that I was like, by the time I got to SVU, he was gone. Love Kelly, like you know, there, there's no shortage of love there. But uh, it was so exciting to um get to go into his little world for a minute and um yeah and and so I play uh I play someone from the DA's office who's um okay you're on the law uh, side yeah you're on on the the order side side. the the order side totally totally (laughs) and uh we kind of team up to to try to figure something out and I think that's kind of maybe the extent of what I can say with Stabler yeah it's really was it because we hear he is intense an intense actor, loves, okay. loves to stretch. So how was um, yeah, stretch uh, him as squatting. a scene partner? <laughs> okay, so moment one, uh, he has his leg full, like uh, extended <laughs> on the counter, full stretch. Um, and it was, I mean, it was a joy. Like he's, he's for sure intense and, um, and definitely has like a stake in how the show goes. So he's really vocal about like what he wants. And it's kind of like, it's an assuring energy, like to come in and be like, okay, like they're, you know, um, we had, I, I worked with two directors, uh, so far, Tess Malone and, and Brenda Malloy, and they were both fantastic too. But he was, he's really like, uh, he, he really kind of comes in, helps to steer that ship. And it went really well. I really loved it. I had a, uh, maybe the worst, probably I felt like the worst first impression I've ever had in 20 years of work on that show because, Basically, I got called um, to go to see if I wanted to do it uh, like quite late at night on Tuesday, flew Wednesday, started work Thursday. It was really, um, really tight. And somewhere in the shuffle, I didn't see a script revision. So started the scene and uh, and it had changed. So it was like three new pages of dialogue that I'd never seen before. Oh, no. And just have never felt like... Uh, like such a uh, kind of amateur in in my entire life, um, but it was fine. Like we got through it. He was like game to just kind of sit and run it with me a few times before we um, before we got it on its feet. And thank heavens above that like that was the vibe because it was true. Like you know, just really felt like. But then, a, what do you do? Three pages of dialogue yeah. is not like. Are you quick at memorize? Like, how does that? What's the troubleshoot after that? I just clunked along until I got it. I don't know. I don't know. Like by the by the the grace of the I don't know Dick Wolf God. That it, is like it, the it, actor's it nightmare. Is like you know you're on stage and you forgot your lines or whatever. But this is like not really your fault because it was like you I just literally quick... had the nightmare. <laughs> like I have had the nightmare of being you know at work and then being thrown into something that I've never seen before. And I was like, well, I'm familiar with this feeling from the depths here, of my here we are subconscious. Um, Oh. But uh, but you know we recovered and it was good and then yeah I came back and did another one and it, it I mean it's it's like it just looking into his face and eyes is like um uh it's a trip because if you know wow I mean like I love him from Wet Hot American Summer days and then yeah same like, same you know um I love that you confirmed the immediate stretching you're not gonna catch Christopher Maloney pulling a muscle that is for <laughs> sure. <laughs> No, no, Damn. Ma'am. no, ma'am. So, 
Can I swing to SVU to ask you a question? I need yeah. to know pretty much everything about when you slam that shell on the stand. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember when I watched that, because I rewatched it, obviously, to talk to you, but I've watched it when it came on a, a couple of years ago and was like, what is happening to her hand? Like, it just felt like there were like shards of shell on, like, what? Yeah. How did they do it? How did so you do it? They had, <laughs> they had like about six shells that, it's, it's an amazing crew over there. They made these like... um and like squishy rubber shells. And so they molded the one, like the real shell into this squishy rubber. And then that's what I was slamming down. So it felt like safe, but also really anticlimactic because it was just like a chew toy almost. Like, so it was just like using that prop over and over. And then they had a couple that were made to break. And I feel like the first one wouldn't break. And then we got one that did, that would shatter kind of like a candy glass thing. But yeah, it was, it was, it was oh, mostly it was a like rubber. Oh, sugar glass. Okay, oh. cool, cool. Because you know the famous, what is it? In um, Django, Leonardo DiCaprio really cut his hand. Yeah. And he kept going and it was his real blood and they used it. Yeah. But like I, I basically <laughs> Sugar glass am, is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. De- <laughs> definitely I am basically Leonardo DiCaprio, if that's right. <laughs> Just in terms of like skill, you know, um, and commitment. Uh, no, I think they, I think it was all fake. That was all fake blood. They, that was pure, you know, TV. Wow. Well, because I loved it. What I'm thinking, <laughs> so you got one-on-ones with all of these people, precinct scenes, and then to take the stand. You really had such a, especially if someone that watches the show, you really got to experience a full episode in yeah. all its glory. Totally. It felt like, I, like I remember just being so, so psyched to see all of those sets and like to be, yeah, to like be on the stand. Yeah. Like it felt, it just, it, it was like, oh, this is the whole, this is the whole show. Like I don't, that stuff never is as old. Like it's so, yeah. it was exciting. I, I, and you got to say the name of the episode. Another yes, mem- yeah. That's another check that's on true. our um, bingo card that we do for people. You get to have a, like a yeah. courtroom breakdown, a bing, like, you know, an interrogation, say the name of the episode. Yeah. Yeah. SVU bingo, baby. So as a watcher, are there episodes that like haunt you or stick with you or like favorites? Like when you're in a hotel, you're like, oh, great. This one's on. Yeah. Okay. I think my favorite is one that I think you're doing live soon and it's beef. Like it just, oh yeah, it just, (laughs) we just did it. (laughs) uh, I mean, it's the, yeah, I mean, it's probably the most referenced, like gigabytes of girls' butts is probably like the most referenced line (laughs) in my life when it comes to SVU. Um, man, like what, like that, yeah, that's, that's for sure a favorite. Um, uh, what else? Margaret Cho's episode was great. Like, I just love her so much. Um, it's fun to see like when people, people pop up in it and yeah. Um, God, I don't know. Yeah. There's, 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 there's a lot. Mar, well, as a fan, you'll love this. So Margaret Cho was, um, our first live show. She was a guest um, in Austin, and we do like would you rather's at the end of our shows, and we asked her who would you rather get high with, you know, <laughs> Finn or Munch, and she went, I've gotten high with both of them. This game is like irrelevant to me, <laughs> and we were like, oh my god, how do you get cooler wow. and cooler <laughs> every passing moment? Because she, I remember her on your show. Didn't you, did you have some story about like Lisa Vanderpump? On your, like, hey, just yeah. She held Jiggy. Oh my god. She held Jiggy, and then he, and then Jiggy like died, died the, the next, next day. day. Oh. God, it's a, uh, just legend. My goodness. My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> 
Do you have anything coming up that you're excited about? Like I saw on your IMDb mm-hmm. something about like City on Fire or something. Yeah, I didn't know. yeah. So I have the show um, that I'm on that's coming out in uh, in May, May 12th on Apple Plus. Um, and it's called City on Fire. It's really fun, um, like created by the the people who created the OC, like very like juicy drama, um, really, Ooh. really fun nostalgia too. It's set in 2003. So it's like, it really kind ah. of makes me feel um, tender for that time. Um, and it's set in New York. We shot in New York. It was really, really fun. It's a great cast. And uh, it, yeah, it'll be out in May. It's really fun. And it's so cool. Okay. City on Fire, May, Apple. You're so in the Dick Wolf universe. It's amazing. I that's such a stamp of approval on your skills. I feel so I feel so grateful to them. Like Jonathan Jonathan Strauss, honestly, like the it's been maybe four or five times that out of nowhere something just comes up and and I get to go into one of these shows. And it feels like it's feel you know what it feels like? Like when I was a kid, I uh I would watch Law and Order when I was home um, from school sick. It would like play all day on this one channel in Canada. And so it felt like, you know, like my, like take the caregiver when I was sick was Law and Order, like the Jerry Orbach days and stuff. And, um, <sighs> and so it was like what I imagined acting to be. It was like, oh, these people get to go, you know, like, like the walk down the street and the, you know, the, all the stuff in the courtroom. Like it just felt like when I was a little kid imagining what it was like to be an actor, it's like, yeah, you're like, you're a police guy or you're like a bad guy on these shows or whatever. And so, yeah, every time it just feels like doing a thing that I imagined doing. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a fun time. It's icon- It's an iconic so uh, TV world. Yeah. Congrats. I mean, you don't want to be in the Dick Wolf universe. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. I mean, it's a blessing. Absolutely. <laughs> There's so many properties. They could just yeah. keep moving you around to do things. You could be working there. It's like uh, it's like Lisa and the comedy clubs, you know? <laughs> yeah. Just, they're all booking her. <laughs> As we love to hear. Yeah, this is amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for taking the time to talk oh to us. God, this is so awesome. Do you have happy. any more like tidbits? Did anything funny oh, yeah. happen at like craft services or like any other little funny stories from when you were on SVU? Okay, this was this was kind of, I thought this was just like really sweet. Maris, Mariska was like, um, at one point we were chatting in a group about like kind of, you know, like what our lives are like. And and I mentioned, you know, she asked if I was married. I mentioned someone I was seeing. And um, and she was like, oh, oh, and like realized that I'm, I'm, I'm queer. And she was like, you know, it's so funny. Like, like, it seems like lesbians really, really like me. I don't know why. Like, I don't know what I do. That, <laughs> and I was like, I'll, t- I'll tell you a couple, a couple of reasons. But she was so, and she was like, it I just, don't know why. Yeah, I was like, mm. I've never seen a mirror before. I just don't know. <laughs> never watched the show. Yeah, the hottest woman alive, but also it's like, Caring, yeah, <laughs> caring, know. but like tough, like in a blazer, yeah, oh yeah. got it, all of it. And she and she was just like, but I love it. Like I just think it's so it's so cool. Like they're so nice to me. I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, a great community to have your back. Yeah, also, yeah, we're there, we're there. <laughs> well, um, you've seen the episode where Kathy Griffin plays a lesbian who kisses <laughs> Benson. Yes, oh, iconic, iconic, <laughs> iconic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was a great tidbit. I'm glad we got yeah, a little more okay. juice this out. This is so cool. That okay, is good. the best. Like, I mean, honestly, our listeners are going to die because 
That is, they, they make, I would say a lot of them are in that demo yeah, of the Mariska Hargitay loving great. lesbians. Yeah. Well, since you've met them all, I guess, should we do a fun game of fuck, Mary kill? <laughs> but you don't have to kill anybody? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Who do we cut out? I guess we'll do okay. Benson yeah. Stabler and then you could pick between Rollins and Carisi, I guess. Oh, I don't know. God, you throw Carisi in the mix though. It's like, the fuck becomes tough because it was going to be like, I mean, because <laughs> uh, it's like, ooh, he's a, he's, he's, he's something. He's spicy. Here, I we'll think, add um, another one. It'll be okay. fuck Mary Kale and share a meal. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Share a meal. I'm going to go Benson. I mean, as much as that's a, maybe that, no, wait, I'm sorry. Mary Benson. Mary Benson. Uh, I'm going to say, uh, fuck stapler. Meal with okay, fuck yeah. Stabler. Meal with uh, meal with with Rollins. No, but I don't want to kill Carisi. I don't know, guys. It's too hard. You oh, don't have to kill Carisi. You know Maybe Carisi's like go make out. Maybe instead of share a meal, it's make oh, yeah, no kill, have a make slow out, make out with Carisi. No yeah, no yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. love it. Thank you, Thank for, you play. for playing that. I feel yeah. like we don't feel comfortable playing that with many guests. Listen, I I am glad I invited it. <laughs> Well, you you are an actor. You know, some actors are actors. Right. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Kathleen. Guys, I love Thank the you pod. so much for taking the time. You like the pod? Wow. I love the pod. I love the pod and wow. I love the show. Oh. And I just think you're you're both so wonderful and funny and delightful. And your recaps, like I, I it feels like uh, I'm, you know, sitting with a pal just listening to the best stories. And I can't believe I this. Yeah, come on. Wow, bury the lead that you like oh the pod God. till the very end. I'm so Wait, are there blushing. any questions we haven't asked that you were like, I thought they would ask me this? Oh, um, no, because you did mention craft service. Like, I was like, are they going to ask about craft, like a craft service? Oh, yes. Do you want to tell us your favorite craft service now? Well, I didn't. Now that you're. Now that I mentioned that, like, I didn't come up with a great answer. But I think sometimes you get a Christmas sandwich on craft, like craft service and they make it like a like a chicken and cranberry sauce sandwich that I only have ever had in craft service trucks and candy. And the crime of the pandemic for me, anyway, the worst thing about the COVID pandemic, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but the worst thing was honestly um, that you have to now, when you get craft services, you can't like root around in this stuff and like put like seven like Sour Patch Kids packets in your pocket without shame. Like now you have to just like ask the person for whatever you want. And I... Do I know have- it, it really, it really cuts down on binging. Yeah. It's really like, I'm always like, I can't just take a bunch of Rice Krispie treats yeah, now. I'm like, yeah. one Rice Krispie treat, yes. please, like a regular person. <laughs> I'll take one and six for my fit, 10 for my friends. <laughs> but it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah, the candy, I read the candy. All right. Candy is perfect. Not messy. Gives you a little sugar. Christmas sandwich. Or a Thanksgiving sandwich. I always think of it too. Like all the things from the little holiday meals. She's Canada. Are you Canada? Oh, right. I'm Canada. And uh, I bet that's why. I mean, we do have Thanksgiving, but it's not as, uh, you know, dominant. Yeah. 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 I can't believe you listen. That's like made Uh, so nice. You kind of have a big pod. You got a bit. You're like, you're not, you're not. You're not a tiny deal here. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm just so so delighted. 
to uh, to be here. And I can't so wait awesome. to watch. I might maybe I'll start watching The OC because I want to. I, I have it on DVR. It. So if you oh. come over on Friday, I'll, we'll watch Kathleen's episode. Oh, maybe that's what. We'll, yeah, we're gonna do. We're gonna okay. get um, high on Friday. That's our big Yay. plan. Friday night, we're getting high. <laughs> amazing, amazing. The one little tiny tidbit I'll leave you with too with organized crime is that yes. the most fun thing about it is that I had to. Google how to carry a motorcycle helmet because my character, we do not see a bike, but she carries a helmet wherever she goes. Oh, yeah. There's <laughs> just a lot of um, polling people I know who I've ever seen anywhere near a, a motorcycle, asking them, like, do I hold it like a baby? Do I hold it in my one hand? Do I- yeah. Do I hip it like under one arm? Yeah. Like, what is the answer? That's a great, wow. What nice did the research. internet say? Okay, well, a different thing than the director, uh, Tess Malone, who, when I came in with what I had from, you know, my research, which was one hand casual, like it's not even there. She was like, I ride a bike. I slip my hand through the chin strap and let it dangle in the elbow. And I did that. Wow. I know. We're going to see, guys. We'll see if it works. Tune in tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Check our stories. We're going to have a story up that's like... This didn't track for me. (laughs) No, just kidding. It's going to be amazing. Wow, she is fun. It was very fun. And I mean, the fact that she's a listener made this even more sweet. I mean. An extra little. (laughs) Please. Please. I turned red. So after we talked to her just a few days later, I did go to a a bagel hang. Um, and, and I you provi- saw her. I provided the bagels. I went to Bell's, <laughs> but it was a bagel hang um, at our friend Robbie's apartment, which is gorgeous. And it overlooks the, the fountain, the Echo Park Fountain Lake. You oh, know what wow. I mean? Yeah. It was just, it was one of those days where I was like, wow, I'm an adult. Look at all these spreads. There was caviar. You know, I was like, <laughs> look at this white fish, little cut up berries. I mean, it was Whoa. really... Um, like I, I, you know, Frex, when she was at our New York show, kept, I loved her outfit and she kept going, this is my final form. This is my <laughs> final form. That's how, I, that's how I felt at the bagel hang. Like the sun was shining. The convo was nice. Everyone looked cute. And I was like, this is final form. Hey. Yeah. This is how I would like to be living wow. for my future. But hopefully one day I can host and not live in, um, I don't know, a pigsty. You will. It's not a pigsty. It's just small. <laughs> I know it's a nightmare. I need to get out of here. I'm truly having existential nightmares, but I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm gonna try to be patient. I'm gonna be patient. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to go apartment hunting with you. We can find you something else. Well, no, if I'm um, leaving, I'm out of here. Oh, I am okay. I'm out of LA. So it's like I'm staying in this hellhole room or I'm I'm out of here. You can empty <laughs> my garage as I fucking leave. That's what's gonna happen. Okay. You can donate the art. <laughs> Okay, well, that's it. I, no, we should talk about this. Teachers, leave your kids alone. T- uh, Pink Floyd was right this whole time. Leave them alone. <laughs> leave those kids alone. Leave um, them alone. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like. Also, if you're a young girl that's like, ooh, this old man, I'm special. You're not special. He's a pervert. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, I, 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 that's why I really don't like a lot of media that like glorifies like the sexy relationship between teachers and students or whatever, you know, like that that show a teacher came out on Hulu, which a lot of people corrected me and said, actually, that really shows both sides and like what it psychologically did to the boy, but blah, blah, blah. But um, yeah, I think in the past, media has really like sensationalized like the hot for teacher thing and all that. So it's definitely fucked up. And you just, this was a great episode in terms of just showing 
all of the various outcomes. Like one girl can't be with anybody because she doesn't trust, but another girl is only with bad guys. And then, you know, Evelyn's got her own shit going on. So it feels like it just shows you how many different like paths can lead yeah. out from like an abusive relationship. And we always talk about like, we all judge the symptoms, but not what caused all these mm. behaviors. It's like, oh, why don't you have your life together? And it's like, I don't know, because my teacher raped me. How about that? You know, yeah. it's like, we are so quick to judge yeah. people and their choices when they didn't really have much of a choice because they were surrounded by predators. Yeah. And, it, and if a teacher is just rubbing your shoulders, tell on that person. Like, you know, because a lot of the stuff in the real life case, and even we've talked about it before, where it's like, oh, yeah, that teacher was touchy or that teacher had after school or that teacher did that. And it's like, you know, we're taught to be like, well, it's not that big of a deal. Should this person lose their job for a shoulder rub? And it's like, that's where it starts. It's never just the shoulder rub. Yeah. Ever. Yeah, for sure. So, or like, alert. yeah, you hear about it. I mean, it's like, we've heard about like predators in the comedy world forever. And it's like, nobody really says anything until like, you know, something really bad happens or someone else or like an actual victim comes forward. Well, and then people are still making jokes. I mean, we, there's one comic everyone talks about out loud in person, on social media, and nobody cares. People make jokes about it. And it's like, yeah, he's truly an abuser from, but the thing is, com comedians like will excuse full on Bill Cosby rapists. So like, of course, they're going to also excuse per people that are harassing the waitresses too. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah. they don't care about the hardcore rape. Like, how are they going to care about the touching rapes? Right. Right. <laughs> right. But, I just, there's, oh God, I just hate so many people. But I saw this <laughs> thing, this is the thing of like, you don't know what people are going through in terms of like decisions. Um, Someone reposted my rules, Clark Jones did, about Amy Sedaris. It's like from a magazine. Uh -huh. And it's all her little rules and they're really cute. But one of them is assume everyone is grieving. And I like wow. that. Yeah. Just never know what anybody is going through on a day-to-day. -day. So true. Not Not all of them are, you know that wild. Some are, some are, uh, some are, some are cute. Like, learn how to properly mail a box. I'm you obsessed know. with um, Amy Sedaris. I'll I'm send you this. A There's lifelong cute lover. ones. Yeah, send me it. I had an article, an interview with her posted up in my kitchen all the whole time I lived in New York. Because yeah. one of them was like, they asked her a question like, would you rather wear pantyhose all the time or constantly have the sound of flip-flops following you? And I think she chose the flip-flops. I, I am too, because that you could get used to. Yeah. Just those are my flip-flops that follow me. Well, um, I, I don't want to be in tights. I'm just no. thinking about summer in LA and I don't want it. <laughs> I don't want it one bit. But summer, don't just order a martini. Be specific. Baca, gin, straight, rocks, olive, a twist. It's cute. Yeah. Love also, her. I like this. Find a new icebreaker. Not everyone wants to answer what do you do or what are you working on? Assume maybe they don't do anything and aren't working. <laughs> and I like well, that. Well, we love to say like, what are you watching on TV right now? Because we both love TV. We ask people a lot of TV questions. Are you a, are you into Bravo? <laughs> oh yeah. Are you a Bravo head? But when I see people, we need, um, there needs to be a word. Like Mariah Carey, the lambs. Like, who are the Bravo heads? What is it? Yeah. We need a fun little word. But I, sometimes I do tell people, instead of like, what do you do? I go, what do you do for money? Because then it's more specific. Oh, yeah. Because even if you yeah. don't, yeah. 
I like to do yes. that. I don't know if that's too inappropriate, but that's what I, I do. Um, in, when I lived in Italy, they were like, Americans always ask people, what do you do for work? No one ever asks that here. Well, like, yeah, no because, one. So what do they ask there? That's so, because here, that's what I found out in Finland. Like here in the States, like our value is our job. Like you mm-hmm. are nothing outside of your job and people decide how they're going to treat you depending on your job. Yeah. And so that's why maybe they don't ask in less capitalist driven nations. Yeah. What Good do people point. do in Italy? What are you eating? What pasta shape did you eat today? Yeah, no, they're definitely like, like, where are you from? Oh, like places you've traveled, like just different questions that are not like, I remember being like, what do you do? And they'd be like, what do you mean? What do I do? And I'd be like, for work. And they'd be like, I mean, I'm a cop, but who cares? Like, like, you know, I had two friends that were cops there, but different kinds of cops. And I don't think their cops kill people there because they're very chill. My friend that was a cop took six weeks off of work because he had a fever, quote unquote. But, you know, it's a good time over there. No one's talking about work and no one's really doing any. But I think also their economy is in crisis. So who's to say? Um, Let's get into what would Sister Peg do? This is our weekly segment where we give you guys an article, a podcast, an organization to flesh out a little bit more of what we talked about on the episode today. And um, I wanted to point you guys to an article today at the Innocent Lives Foundation's website called Sexual Misconduct in the Classroom, Everything You Need to Know. And it's just a lot of information about the types of environments that create abuse in the classroom, how a predator operates, how to prevent abuse from happening in the future. So if you have like, you know, kids or you're young and you're in a, you're still in a classroom, check it out. And um, just like have your ears perked up and eyes perked up for abusers because we literally I when I was looking for the what would sister peg do I was like googling resources for this and it was like just article after article of teachers getting busted having sex with students or raping students you know what I mean like it was horrible so I was like this is obviously an ongoing problem so there are also resources for victims who have been um, abused by an educator so if that's something that's touched your life there's resources there for you so go to um, www.innocentlivesfoundation.org um, or the then link to the actual article is going to be in our show notes and on our um, as always in our Instagram stories and the highlighted WWSPD <laughs> highlight. That sigh was perfect. Um, we're doing a lot on Instagram. Follow us also wherever you pod. You know, give us a little star. Give us a little review how you're obsessed with us. Um, also, next week, join us as we'll be doing um, Turn Me On, Take Me Private. Another <laughs> Warren Light masterpiece, the fucking psycho. Um, no, we would love Warren Light on the podcast, but do you think we'll attack him? I think we're going to ask about it. But not in a chill way, right? <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be like, you understand some of them were fucking dumb, correct, sir? <laughs> I bet he's playing Wordle every day. Jared always makes fun of In the Year We All Fell Down. He's like, what is that title? (laughs) um, So yeah, next week is Turn Me On, Take Me Private, season 22, episode five. Um, So join us in all all your um, streaming and stick glories. Yeah, and come see us live. That's messeduplive.com and we'll see you guys next week. Bye. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmessedappod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at that's messed up pod and on Twitter at messed up pod. 
and follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun, dun, dun. Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.